Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, the sports animals in the morning on ESPN Honolulu. Happy Monday, happy 4th of the July, 4th of July Eve and all that good stuff. Kind of a long weekend for a lot of people, but not for us. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth here with the Sports Animals of the Morning on ESPN Honolulu. It's a long I, weekend for Chris Hart. It is. I think you know, I think he's at the Skyline station trying to catch a train. Uh, actually, I heard everything he's went really catch, well. He's trying to catch sunrise yes, on the Skyline. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, he might be waiting a while, but actually I heard everything went pretty well. We'll talk a little bit about that later, but yes, Tanner is filling in today with the Sports Animals. Hey, uh, just a uh, heads up, well, we did mention mentioned it on Friday's show in the last hour, but coming up in 30 minutes, Phil Steele, kind of the guru uh, for college football magazines and all the information. He'll be joining us 30 minutes from now, 32 minutes from now, so stay tuned for that, and we'll probably uh, replay that in the 8 o'clock hour as well. But let's start off amongst the many things that you need to know, because there was a lot this week, and I could probably go 10, 11 deep with this, but we'll go with three for right now. And uh, the first one, uh, I mean, I guess it's kind of sad in a way, Tanner, but for the World Surf League's uh, uh, Vivio Rio Pro in Brazil, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, uh, they had uh, both Carissa Moore and John John Florence. They were both uh, eliminated in the f- final four, the semifinal round, so they both finished in a tie for third, which obviously is fantastic when you think about you know finishing that high up. But for both of those surfers, uh, like for Carissa as an example, five-time world champion, you might maybe get a little spoiled and think they're always supposed to win it. John, John Florence, a two-time world champion, still great performances, just a little short of the title, though. Yeah, and you know both were knocked out by the eventual champions of both brackets. So that's at least a little bit of a, uh, not a highlight, but a little bit of, you know, it's it's good enough. But it doesn't also sting nice, as much. It doesn't sting as much, and as well as Carissa Moore securing a spot in the 2023 Rip Curl uh, WSL Finals after advancing to the semifinals. So that's also another, uh, it won't sting as much. It would have been nice to win, though. Yeah, I think we're a little spoiled because they just do so well. I mean, like anything less than the championship, it shouldn't be disappointing because again, Come on, they guys. pretty high. Cha- yeah, championships only. Uh, we set our standards very high, <laughs> but they they help with all their great performances. Another thing you need to know, and Tanner, uh, you, I, and Chris, you, I, and Chris, you, Chris, and I, uh, Friday and all throughout the week, and maybe more than a couple of weeks, we're talking about where is San Diego State going to be come July first, and we had Ted Leitner, the play-by-play voice for football and basketball on Friday, Cheryl, he didn't know. It was a mess. And lo and behold, I think we kind of suspected that a little bit on Friday, the fact that they weren't joining a new conference and the way it was playing out. But they are staying put in the Mountain West, at least for now. For now. For now. And I guess the Mountain West will take them back. But that was none of that was a done deal until Friday afternoon. Yeah, of course, they were 
waiting because, like we said, there's that July, the June 30th deadline, which made that buyout fee from San Diego State basically go from 17 to 34 million dollars. So they were obviously waiting for the Pac-12 to come out with some kind of media deal. The Pac-12 is still working on their media deal, and um, it's a little bit close to the season, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it's so, a mess. So that's just a whole ongoing mess going on with George Klyvikov and the Pac-12. So I think for San Diego State, the right thing to do is stay in the Mountain West. Don't try to, you know, ruffle up anybody's feathers here. And as we all know, once the Pac-12 throws the invite at San Diego State, then they're going to be out no matter what. And so this is more of a a, a security thing for the San Diego State uh, athletics, you know, for them to at least have a spot to play in the next couple of years. See, one of the things you just said is an excellent point in that for now, and they, you know, they're going to make the offer. You would think the Pac-12 is going to make an offer because they they need some teams. They need some schools to join, and San Diego State seems like a likely. Well, they need they need teams in the big markets. Yeah, they and the just big market, lost... and they're not a big market technically but yeah but san diego is probably the biggest market that's left that that's true that's true but dallas i guess for smu could be a little bigger but that, you need something in southern california the pac-12 yeah. so I, I that the point is when i when i saw this on friday i'm thinking oh great they're staying but then like as you mentioned and i started thinking and people should realize it's not long term you would still think next year at this time they're probably going to jump to the Pac-12. It's just more money. It's just that they didn't have a firm offer yet. And you also wonder if the Big 12 maybe will come calling to some of the Pac-12 teams because they're in a little bit of turmoil. If they don't have 12 teams and that TV contract, which might end up being a streaming contract, isn't as large as what some people, some of those schools might want. And, hey, you know, this just means that uh, Mountain West Media Days in the, is it next week or in two weeks, I can't I think remember. it's two. I think it's two weeks. Yeah, so that, that's definitely going to be not awkward at all. Yeah, I was thinking about that a little bit over the weekend <laughs> as well. That's going to be fun because remember the school president for San Diego State was taken off the Mountain West board, and because they thought maybe they probably weren't going to be in the Mountain West. Well, they are in the Mountain West. Hey, you know one thing I was thinking about, Tanner? I want to get your take, of course, on this. The the was it six million dollars or whatever they were supposed to get distributed? Remember, they're not getting that money, right? The Mountain West said they're not going to give them the money from last year's distribution. And the more I thought about that, I think that's really wrong and maybe borderline. Well, I thought that was if they were just going to leave. Well, okay, it's only if they were going to leave. Okay, okay, let's say they were going to leave, even with that. Let's say they did announce they were leaving, whatever the exit fee is and all that. To me, that money was earned last year. Mostly, if well, maybe not mostly, but a lot of it due to the basketball team going to the championship. You get more money for each round you advance. And they still performed last year in good standing in that they were participating. They, you know, they, they helped earn that money. I don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do to withhold that money, uh, even if they were leaving because they earned it while they were there. I wonder if that's in, the, if that's in some kind of contract. Yeah. Because right. it is leaving before the new year is up. That's true. That's the reason you know. why the buyout is there at that point, because after July 1st and all the new conferences were set, the Big 12 officially had BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston. The CUSA officially brought in Sam Houston, Jacksonville, New Mexico State, and a fourth school that I'm forgetting, Liberty. So right, they brought but, yeah. all those four schools into the CUSA. And, and that's all on that July 1st date. So I'm assuming that now that we're past that date, everyone will get their money like they're expected to get. 
and I just don't see any more problems financially. That is, uh, that we were gonna have like w- that San Diego State was gonna have in having to pay more money and having to have some money rescinded. I don't think that's just gonna be an issue anymore. That six million because that's probably gonna be distributed to San Diego State now, unless you know someone tells me otherwise, and I yeah. just have no idea. That would be the right way, I think, that it should be done. Uh, just when, when I heard it was going to be withheld, I just thought uh, that they just, they still earned it at that point. But, again, they are staying now, so hopefully it will be a moot point. But it also, as you mentioned, a conference realignment day for a lot of schools. I'll go over the whole list that I saw uh, a little bit later in the show from uh, over the weekend. But, yeah, there's a lot of schools changing conference. Well, here's the third thing you need to know, and there's a lot to know involving the NBA, the association. We knew free agency was going to start at noon on Friday. And like I said, by 12.15, 12.20, there were already a half dozen, if not a dozen, announcements of signings. But those are all re-signed players. Kyrie Irving, Draymond Green, uh, to say the least. Uh, a couple of other guys staying home. Kyle Kuzma staying home. Chris Middleton. I uh, can go on and on with some of the big names. But then we started seeing guys switch teams. And I'm going to give you, and I thought of you, Tanner, right away, because I know you like this player, and I like him too. I just don't think that this player is worth 200, and I think it's 50 or 60 million it's Desmond Bain he's going to be getting over 40 million a year that I mean again and that's a a contract extension not not like a free agency okay well he's a free agent so he well he signed an extension yes but he could have gone elsewhere and not this year he wasn't a free agent no it was was it's a contract max deal yeah it's just a contract it's a max extension how does he, again, I'm not putting him down. I think he's a good player and more power to him if you get that money. But I don't think anybody can convince me he's worth $40 million. I can, I think, right here. Desmond Bain is their best offensive player in Memphis. If you watch a, if you watch a Memphis Grizzlies game, if there's one person to be afraid of, it's Desmond Bain getting hot. He has proven over time and time the last two years that he can consistently get, like, 30 points a game in a playoff series because he can get hot because he's probably their best shooter, one of their best, you know, slashers, you know, alongside John Morant. Well, I think John Morant would be Yeah, obviously. I said one of. Okay, okay. I said one of. Okay. Uh, But he's also a good defensive player. He's an all-around guy. He's strong. Have you ever seen a photo of him? No, I've followed him since college. I I know he's good. $40 million? Yes. I think he's worth it because at this rate that the uh, that the uh, salary cap keeps going up and up at forty million is probably going to look like a deal in a couple of years. It's better than like a Mike Conley getting forty million dollars a year. Desmond Bain out. is one of the best shooting guards in the NBA, and you and so he deserves that kind of deal. I still don't think he deserves it. I know he's good. It's just the amount of money that I again. I just think it's too much. But again, when I say that, I shouldn't. It sounds bad. Again, the more they make, the better for them. I'm not complaining that somebody got. I just don't think he's worth it necessarily. But the price keeps going higher and higher for players like that. Again, he's good. But I mean, wow. I mean, especially when you see some of these other guys that sign. I mean, for example, and he's in a different situation. He was eligible for that max deal. But Austin Reeves is to me probably more valuable. No. And I think he's going to get no. a little over fourteen no. million a year. I disagree with you. Desmond Bain is way more valuable than Austin Reeves. All respect to Austin Reeves. Also, he's got to get a better agent. I think that's. What yeah, I, I thought he would get a little bit more. I thought he would get more than. I guess nice, he wanted to stay there. It's, it's nice that he's given the L.A. Lakers a really great deal, but bro, 
you got to get a better agent. I think Home you were worth you were worth way more than that kind of money. But he is way more valuable than Austin Reeves, in my opinion, because Austin Reeves cannot do what Desmond Bain does and be the second best player on that Memphis Grizzlies team alongside John Moran. If Austin Reeves was on that team, I mean, he'd be good. But, like, I wouldn't value him as a Desmond Bain kind of guy. I'm not saying he does as much for the Lakers as Bain does for Memphis, and that's a good point. I just think he, he's done so many things for that team. And he, you know, it's probably a, it's probably, you're probably right that Bain is better. I just think that the disparity in their salaries is, shouldn't be that big. I'm going to give a couple more, cause we, and we're going to go over a you know, few more throughout the show. Um, I thought, where am I going to go here with this one? Well, Bruce Brown goes to Indiana, so they lose Jeff Green and Bruce Brown. Denver does. I'm happy with the Knicks getting Dante DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo. We got him kind of DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo. Chenzo. And they get the three Villanova guys. I mean, that's something that will help them. Uh, Dylan Brooks was the one. And I know if Chris was here, uh, he would say what a what a waste why would anybody do it i i thought i don't know if you i know you're on social media more than me did you see jj reddick's little rant on dylan brooks the other day about yes, how he did it was, and he makes a great point jay he just interesting because i hate duke or sports hate duke but i love jay billis i love jj reddick uh even shane battier i loved as a player when he was in the media just a little bit of course jay williams they just have to separate themselves from duke first and yeah, then you can like for them. me at least but but he's right about dylan brooks and i'm i would think you would feel the same way i mean yeah he was an idiot with lebron and the lakers series and all that he's still a really good defensive player and he can give you 15 to 20 points i think he averaged about 15 last year but for him to get 20 million a year from houston i thought that was a good pickup and i know some people might be surprised that he signed for that much money but i think that was money well spent if i'm houston i i don't like this deal a lot i like dylan brooks a little bit um, I agree with a lot of the points. I just think 20 mil is too much because if you think four years down the line, he's going to be in his 30s by then. We really don't know how much of his play last year is his play downgrading or if that was a down year. Because I think com when you compare his seasons, at least offensively, to the last couple of years, like Dylan Brooks at one point averaged like 27 points a game in the playoffs. I think that's something that not a lot of people ever expect to hear if you only watched Dylan Brooks last year but I just don't think 20 million is it uh, I know this is a young team that'll only get better as time goes on but I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it but I'm fine with it I, it's just gonna be whether or not Ime Udoka can get this guy to mature a little bit. He might be a good mentor. And that's a, and that's a big issue right now with the Houston Rockets is that their stars all have to mature a little yeah, bit, very young, as we very saw young. with the whole uh, Jalen Green situation that happened this weekend with a certain uh, kind of video that came out with one of his teammates. Actually, we'll get more on that later. Um, one of the things we won't get Dil too much on yeah, that. Yeah, but it's not much we could describe on radio. Okay. Dylan Brooks, though, again, I, I mean, a good defensive player, and I'm not a fan of his either. But I mean, you got to give him some credit for what he can produce. I, I think, did give him credit. Oh, I'm, I'm just not saying you. I'm just saying generally, people should. I think again, he twenty million these days is not a lot of money, and but, by evidence of some of the what some of the other salaries were. But I and I, I understand your point I, about. I'm going to do this. I'm going to steal your argument that you just said. Okay. For my last point. I would take Austin Reeves' deal way faster than I would take a Dylan Brooks kind of deal. Me too. 
I would so agree with you on that. I think that's where my issue lies, and I just think 20 mil is a little too much for Dylan Brooks. We'll talk about some more NBA players, and obviously there's a big news, and one of the things uh, to continue with the NBA talk as far as what you need to know, and that involves somebody with a trade request. We'll tell you about that coming up in a minute. Phil Steele joining us in about 15. Also, if you'd like to call us or text us, you know the number, 808-296-1420. Tanner and I will be back in a minute with the Sports Animals in the Morning on ESPN Honolulu. It is the Sports Animals. Gary Dickman, Tanner Hayward filling in for Chris. Hope everybody's going to have a happy and safe fun 4th of July. Not really the weekend. Might be a long weekend for some. Some of us got to work today, sandwiched around Saturday, Sunday, and of course tomorrow where most of us are off. I see that Phil Steele has retweeted that he is coming on the show. So he he at least knows that he's coming on the show. Yeah, at least he knows, yeah. So he'll be calling in uh, in about 15 minutes, even on his tweet. He's saying how his magazine is available at Barnes & Nobles in Honolulu. Uh, I'm sure you can get it online like Chris did as well. So we'll talk to him coming up in a little bit. I just want to finish up some NBA talk, and we'll get to more free agents throughout the show. But I think the big news Saturday, because it kind of died down during the draft, is that Damian Lillard now has informed Portland that he's requesting a trade, and they uh, seem happy to oblige and help him out. Maybe not the first team of his choice, which seems to be Miami, but they are willing to look, and it looks like they are headed down that road where they're going to trade him. As a Nets and Knicks fan, I'm not going to get into that too much, but I am a Nets fan and the Knicks. He's a New York the, fan, fan I, of New York. Usually you can't like both teams, and that's a that kind of a long-standing thing, so I'm kind of hypocritical of myself. It's fine. But, but the Nets are rumored to be one of those teams. And I would love that. I mean, it sounds like Miami is the one that really wants him. In fact, we were trying to get Kurt Keelan on today uh, from Pro Basketball Talk, and he's got some other family things to do. But he said uh, he said it's probably going to be announced while he's helping his daughter do some things. Uh, that's just the way things work. And he said we had a little back and forth where Miami said it's pushing hard. They're going after him uh, with everything they can offer to make sure they get him in Miami, trying to make themselves the championship team. But that was kind of interesting news, and I feel bad for the Portland fans. I don't blame Dame Lillard, and it's a big contract to take on because in 2026 he's going to make over $63 million a year. Which is funny because like, I feel like he deserves every single dollar of that contract because Damian Lillard is, when he is not injured, the second best point guard in the NBA alongside Steph Curry and Kyrie Irving. I could have those three just kind of rotating between a two and three, that is he and Kyrie. Uh, right under Steph all year long because whatever, whenever you think of how great of a shooter Steph Curry is and how fast, I think that's just mostly on how consistent and how fast his release is. But if it weren't for Steph Curry, we would be talking about how amazing and how great of a shooter Damian Lillard is because we all know him for his amazing athleticism uh, that he showed off as a rookie, but you can never forget his two most clutch shots of his career. I think of the series that put away the Houston Rockets back in like <laughs> what twenty fifteen. I think when he just was like le- like a second left, and he just runs yeah. off a screen, moving three. And then you think about when he put away the Thunder from basically half court over Paul George. Uh, it's I mean, oh yeah. If I there is a guy who you can trust at the end of a game. 
it's Dame every single night. And unfortunately, the Portland Trailblazers have done almost nothing to kind of capitalize on him. They've tried. CJ McCollum, him, and uh, Yusuf Nurkic for like at least a couple of years were kind of working out. They made their way, I believe, to the Western Conference Finals in 20. Uh, was that 2019? Was One that of those years. Finals? It was before the bubble. That, so was, that was when the bubble, they yeah. beat the Denver Nuggets in like that crazy overtime game. I still remember that because I was in college watching that in the library. Uh, but Were I, you supposed to be watching basketball? In no, the I was supposed to be studying for finals. Oh, okay. But um, I just think of the just Damian Lillard has done so much for that city. He's remained loyal yep. to that franchise for so long. And no matter what the Trailblazers tried to do, it was never enough. I think the clo- the best team he ever had was when it was with him, Wesley Matthews, Nicholas Batum, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Robin Lopez. That five for at least, I think that was like a two-year time, I thought was his greatest team, and that was so long ago. I forget Lopez on it. The other guys, of course, I remember. I forget. Robin Lopez has been on a lot of teams. But yeah, I just remember those years in Portland where he was like, you know, pretty as a solid center yeah. during his like career as you know, p- pretty much being a bench piece. Yeah, and, and name Lillard. I'm, I'll be glad for him and that. Hopefully, have a chance to go further in the playoffs. I mean, again, going to the Western Conference Finals, great, but that's the only time they ever went that far. And he's such a great. I, everything you said, I, I agree with. Again, I feel bad in a way for Portland. And one of the things that kind of bothers me about this whole thing now is that it seems, at least in the NBA, if not other sports as well, a player says they want to get traded, they're making themselves a free agent, so to speak. It seems like nobody's ever telling these stars no. Durant and Kyrie want out, we'll trade them right away. Um, and those maybe are the exceptions, but James Harden wants to get out, you know, we're going to trade him. And again, those were all nets at one point. But we see Anthony Davis, he wants to get out. I mean, I would also, I'd love to see a team take an approach and say, no. Sorry, if you don't want to play well and you want to sulk and make believe you're injured, well, we're paying you X millions of dollars for this, and no, we're not trading you. Uh, it just seemed like they give in so easily. I can understand certain situations, it makes sense, but it seems like when a player makes these requests, it's basically a demand. And, you know, Portland, I don't see how they come out ahead in this deal, although they'll probably get a lot of draft picks no matter who they trade with. But if it's Brooklyn and Miami, I mean, they'll be, they might not be lottery picks. That's one of the things about it. Uh, so you're not going to get equal value, I don't think. And You're never going to get equal value, but at the same time, though, I feel like it's in Portland's better interest to try to cater to Damian Lillard at this point because, look, it doesn't sound right to say that, but you talk about all these trade demands and all this stuff, but yet Damian Lillard has stayed with the Portland tra- Trailblazers for so long that I feel like at this point you just need to accommodate to him because he's done so much for you in the last cup in the last decade that he's been playing in the NBA. That's a good point with him. He to me he would be maybe one of those exceptions. And you're not going to win any time in the next two or three years. No. You would think so. Maybe you and start they're not going to win with him there either. Right. That yeah. So you start to rebuild. You get a whole bunch of first round picks, and maybe it's worth it. It's some of the other guys like Durant, Harden, Kyrie who haven't been around long enough, and they're demanding trades. And you know even Anthony Davis to a certain extent. But it just seems like you make that you make the request, and it's a done deal. It's going to happen. So now the question is where will he go i would imagine it's probably well i would think it's going to happen sometime soon uh free agency has started as we've been saying and there'll be more players you know signing this week or announcing they're going to sign this week and whoever you are as a team you need to know what you're dealing with 
whether it's with free agency or not, you want to know what your roster is going to look like. It's not, he's not a guy that's going to get traded in August. You know, he's going to be a guy that's in demand. There's no reason to wait that long for both Portland and the new team that'll be on. So uh, that that again, I mean, we heard the rumors they they got really strong around draft night, died down. He's not going to request a trade. And I saw something on Instagram, and I can't remember. I think it might have been Windhorse who was saying Brian Windhorse on a Wednesday of last week that uh, Damian Lillard has said he's not going to ask for a trade. He's staying in Portland. And then Friday, the opposite takes place, as we know. So uh, here's some here's something interesting as we're talking about the NBA and you know guys staying. Uh, we were talking about Desmond Bain's contract extension. Yeah. According to Adrian Wojnarowski, Anthony Edwards from the Minnesota Timberwolves has agreed on a five-year designated rookie maximum deal that could be worth up to two hundred and sixty million dollars. So it's basically the same one. Oh, close. No, two hundred sixty for oh, five 60. years. Yeah, Not like bit. so. It's going to be a little bit more, obviously, but I think that's. I think w- I, when I look at the Minnesota Timberwolves, that's pro- that's probably going to be their Damian Lillard for the next couple of years. The guy who deserves it in Anthony be. Edwards. And what about Tyler Halliburton for Indiana? Indiana now coming over from Sacramento in the Sabonis trade. He got the, basically the same deal as Bain. Really good player. But wow, boy! These I mean, these guys. are all really great players that I think at, at at this point of their careers, I think they'll absolutely deserve it. I remember when Anthony Edwards first got drafted, I thought he was going to be a bust because of that whole you know interest thing and him liking football more than basketball. Oh yeah, I was all in on that train of him of me thinking he's a bust. So it's awesome to see that you know I was a little bit proven wrong, and Anthony Edwards has low key become. One of my favorite players to watch in the NBA. Uh, the only time where I would ever say I would love to watch some Minnesota Timberwolves basketball. Yeah, I remember him as a freshman in Georgia. They played on Maui, the Maui Jim Maui back then. Well, well, we'll get to more NBA coming up throughout the show with a lot of information coming out of the news that you just mentioned about uh, Ant-Man. Uh, we're going to talk some college football, though. As we mentioned, Phil Steele will be joining us in just a minute, so stay tuned for that. I want to let you know that if you mention ESPN Honolulu, you can get the 750 special at the Pagoda Restaurant, now located in the International Ballroom. Two eggs, Portuguese sausage and rice, or toast, or you can choose pancakes, Waffles, sweetbread, French toast, or omelets. It's Monday through Fridays from 7 to 11 a.m., weekends till noon. For more details and their menu, visit pagodahawaii.com. Gary Dickman here with Tanner Hayworth in our downtown Paxa studio with Sports Animals in the morning. And very rarely do you get to talk with a guest who is the best in the biz, the best at what they do. And we have him now joining us here on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia hotline. You see the Phil Steele college football preview out. Uh, We get into it on this show. Uh, It's been going on, I believe, for over 28 years. And he joins us right now, Phil Steele. Phil, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Has it been 28 issues of your magazine? Yeah, this is the 29th year. 29th. So next year will actually be uh, year number 30 
You know, the first one that came out, guys, was uh, black and white. It was on newsprint. It stayed that way for about seven years. We went to full color in 2002, and I believe it's the best-selling Booker magazine in Barnes & Noble now. I would imagine so, and we know when you want to get the best in college football information, your magazine is the place to go to. There's others out there, but we know yours is like the Bible for college football fans. And you know, Phil, that means uh, the standard here. I was going to say, that makes your football magazine older than me. (laughs) <laughs> if that make, if I want to make you feel a little bit better coming on to the uh, the program there, you're making me feel a little old there. But <laughs> I started I started young. Yeah, it makes me feel even older when I hear that as well. Well, I, we want to talk about a few things going on in college football. Of course, first and foremost is the University of Hawaii football team. What is your prediction, so to speak, as far as what they will do this year, year two in the Timmy Chang era? You know, and I like what Coach Chang is doing. You go back to last year, over the first four games of the year, they didn't have a single touchdown pass, and sort of switched them back to the run and shoot, which Coach Chang was very familiar with. And we saw an improved offense as the season went on. Uh, They had it for the year, for the way he stepped in, you know, he took over late. Uh, there was the uh, the long uh, thing going on with Graham, and then took over late and brought it in. I thought he did well getting the team to three and ten last year. This year they got nine starters back on defense. Uh, I think the defense and the special teams will be improved, and offensively, I think we'll see them continue to improve as well. Now, the schedule's not easy playing teams like Vanderbilt in the SEC country, Stanford, which I believe is a winnable game. So if you're a Hawaii fan. Look for that Stanford game. They're a very young team this year. Uh, they have to play Oregon on the road and, of course, the Mountain West schedule. I think they're probably a year away from getting to a bowl game, but if they can win a couple of pivotal games, they're talking about the Stanford game early on, maybe New Mexico on the road, San Jose State at home, then I think Coach Chen can have them competing for a bowl game this year. But uh, I think it's going to be an exciting brand of football. They have quite a few players at the skill positions on offense coming back. Braden Shaker is back for another year. He's gained about 10, 15 pounds, looks a lot stronger. you got some of the receivers, running backs. Tylen Hines had a great year for them last year. Who do you think could be or should be maybe the standouts, standouts on offense for Hawaii? Well, you talked about Shaker. Now, he's a tough kid that was thrown into the fire last year, but he's a gunslinger. Uh, he's figured out the rhythm of the offense, and as you know, the, the run-and-shoot offense is a little bit different than most offenses, and I think he really really has bought into it. But I think the player on offense that stands out to me is Tylen Hines. And when I talked to Coach Chang and was going over the team with him, he felt that he's got the capability to be the Mountain West player of the year this year. He's going to use him in numerous ways, you know, naturally running the football, but also out of the backfield. And I think he's a good fit for the offense. He's only 5'7", 175. But uh, I believe Coach Chang's sort of building the offense around him this year. Uh, that wide receiver, I look for Walthall to come out there and be probably the most promising wide receiver that they have. So those would be the names that jump out to me. But I think if you're looking for the guy at the end of the year that's going to garner the most Mountain West Player of the Year honors, it's probably Tylen Hines at the running back spot. Yeah, he definitely had a great year for Hawaii last year. We are talking Hawaii football and college football in general. Phil Steele of College Football Preview Magazine. Phil Steele's uh, 2023 edition is at Barnes & Noble. We'll tell you some more places, including online, where you can get it as he joins us on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia Hotline. Tanner has a couple of questions for you, Phil. And to flip to the other side of the ball on defense, we saw that you put on the All-Mountain West uh, pre uh, preseason team Cam Stone as kind of like the lone player on that first team. Now Cam Stone, the transfer from Wyoming, what do you see in him to be one of the top corners in the Mountain West? 
Yeah, and when I was talking to Coach Chang about the defense, uh, he said he was pretty shocked that they actually got Cam Stone. He comes over from a great defense in Wyoming. He's got good size. And, uh, you know, he, he, I think when you look at him, he's one of the – he was a solid cornerback at Wyoming. He now comes in here. He's probably the star cornerback here, even with Verdell Edwards back, who's a big, long cornerback at six foot two. I think that's a very nice cornerback combination that they have with Stone and Edwards. And then kind of the one big – I mean, there were a lot of issues with the defense last year, but one big issue with the defense last year was that run defense – and they were pretty much allowing whatever could possibly get through any hole at one point in the season. <laughs> uh, do you see anything, you know, anything, you know, uplifting to see from this defense to see that there would be an improvement in that run defense? Yeah, and Coach Chang knows that this was the problem last year. I mean, they allowed 5.6 yards per carry, over 200 yards per game. And if you're giving up six yards a carry every time the other team runs the ball, you're going to have a tough time getting them off the field. Uh, he used a lot of scholarships to strengthen the room. Uh, you bring in a guy like from Washington uh, at defense tackle, who's my number 86 rated defensive lineman. They bring in a guy from East Carolina, California, Washington, and they've got a star up front in John Tuitpo. Uh When you look at him, he's, he's their anchor of the defense. He's strong. He's dominant inside. He's tough to block. I think he's going to be the key to an improved run defense this year. I think Altwood was sticking, talking about the defense and sticking with some of the really good standouts. You look at the linebacker spot, and Logan Taylor last year just came on as an injury replacement and seemed to be one of the better linebackers in the Mountain West. Where do you rate him overall? I know you got him on your own Mountain West, I believe second team, but when you talk about a guy like that who just really came on the scene and not a lot of people were aware of him, I thought he had a fantastic season. Yeah, and you hit it right on the head. He came on strong at the end of the year, and a lot of times you see that in the new defense. You know, it takes a while to adapt to it, which he did. Uh, 85 tackles last season, and and he's one of those alpha males. You know, one of those guys that's a, a leader on the defense, and and I think you're going to see a big year out of Logan this season. Hawaii, again, we talk about a lot of players that have come back and really good players, whether it's on defense, Thailand Hines, hopefully Braden Shager, Jonah Pinocchi uh, back as a receiver. Some of the receivers are back. What will it take for Hawaii to maybe get from two or three wins to maybe, maybe being a bowl-eligible team? Uh, I think it's going to be improvement in the rush defense, which is vital because you can't allow 5.6 yards per carry. But the second one would be for the offensive line to meld quickly. I mean, this is a young group that they have on the offensive line. They actually have a little more depth than what they had heading into last season, but it is still young with only two, basically two returning starters coming back up front. But uh, I think if the offensive line can gel early – and then the defense can get better against the run. That's going to be the key. And then those toss-up games I mentioned. I think New Mexico State is a big one early. Stanford is a big one early and a winnable game. Uh, the New Mexico game on the road, San Jose State at home. If they can pick up a couple of those, they're going to gain confidence. And, you know, when I went through, uh, to, as an example, going with uh, Baylor, uh, Coach Aranda, early season confidence has a lot to do with the team's success. Uh, he mentioned that two years ago they gained a lot of confidence early. They expected to win games late in the year. Last year that wasn't the case, and they sort of folded down the stretch. I think if Hawaii can get some of those early toss-up games, that'll be the key. Great choice there, by the way. Uh, former Hawaii defensive coordinator Dave Aranda right there. Uh, but uh, I think when you look at the Mountain West and how you predicted how it would go, you kind of have Hawaii kind of in the doldrums. 
I think it's fair to say, of the Mountain West alongside the uh, New Mexico's. I mean, what do you see out of the Mountain West this year? Because coming out of last year, the Mountain West kind of looked like one of the weaker uh, com- football conferences of all of the of the G5 last year. Do you think you're going to see a lot of improvement from the Mountain West in general this year, or do you think it's pretty much the same uh, in that uh, group of five uh, conference or power conferences? And I I think you hit it right on the head, Tanner, in the fact that last year the Mountain West was poor. You go back and look at those early non-conference games, first four or five weeks of the season, and you're like, can any any team emerge from the Mountain West? Because they're all struggling. Uh, You know, even Boise State losing at UTEP, losing at Oregon State like they did both by 17 points. And then, you know, once they got in conference play, things were better. But I think this year the Mountain West will be an improved league. You're looking at a team like Boise State that uh, now has their quarterback in Taylor Green. Air Force has an unusually veteran group. They usually aren't this veteran, uh, but they are this year. San Diego State, uh, they went to their quarterback, took them about five weeks. Then Jalen Mad moved over back from linebacker. I mean, he was quarterback to linebacker, back to quarterback. And uh, once he took over, they were different. Wyoming is one of the biggest teams on my experience chart. They were one of the least experienced teams in college football last year. In fact, I told Coach Bowl that uh, I was like, uh, after I got off the phone with him and, uh, last year and they had lost all those players, I'm like, I feel sorry for them. They're going to probably have a losing year. He got them to 7-6 last year. Now they've got 15 returning starters and a whole bunch of players that have uh, bought into the program. Every play, every position I went through with Coach Brent Brennan, he said, this is the best unit we've had since I've been here, and it's his seventh year, so look out for San Jose State. And then even teams like last year, first-year head coaches, Jay Norvell uh, of uh, Colorado State, Ken Wilson of Nevada, uh, and both were first-year head coaches last year, and every second-year coach I ever talked to says, we are so much better off this year. Those two teams are much better off, and I think both worthy of ca- uh, contending for a bowl spot. So. I do think the Mountain West overall is a deeper league and a much better league this year. Phil, we always enjoy talking college football. Your magazine is the best. For some of our listeners, I can't imagine anybody who's not aware of it, tell our listeners what makes your magazine so special and where they can obtain it. Yeah, it's the amount of information. And also, I uh, I do nothing but college football year-round. I talk to probably 125 of the 133 head coaches. We spend about an hour going over the team uh, with each coach in the country. I can't imagine any other magazine does that. And then we've got three to four times the amount of information of any other magazine. Most magazines might give a half page of the Mountain West. We give two full pages. Uh, we give you three deep, four deep on every single team. Uh, it's like getting 133 media guides rolled in one, except it's even better because all the information's in the same spot on every page for every team. You can get the magazine right now at Barnes & Noble there in Honolulu. You can also get it... Um, and in Maui, so both places, uh, both Barnes and Nobles have plenty of the magazines available. And if you're not around the Barnes and Noble, you can just go to philsteel.com. And when you go to philsteel.com to order, there is a shipping charge, but we give you the digital magazine absolutely free. And I update the digital magazine all the way through September. So if a player's gone and out for the season, we'll have them circled in your digital magazine. Or if a player gets at it, and we did capture the majority of the transfer portal players, but we'll add it to the pages of the magazine. So Barnes & Noble right there in Honolulu and Maui. And then you can get it at philsteel.com. And when you order online, you get the digital magazine uh, for free. That sounds like a great deal. Phil, again, thank you for spending some time with us. We love the magazine. We love it when you can come on our show. Thanks again, and happy holidays. 
Hey, happy holidays. A lot of fun talking football with you guys this morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you Thanks, for Phil. joining us. Phil Steele joining us from Phil Steele's College Football Preview. You can follow Phil on Twitter at PhilSteele042. And uh, great talking college football with him. We're going to take a break and talk more about some of the things Phil Steele was just talking about with us, mainly the University of Hawaii, so stay tuned for that. Hey, what do you get when you combine jocks and food? Athletes. Join Cole Malsoff on our YouTube channel or ESPNHonolulu.com. You can see Cole sit down with different famous local sports athletes. And for the latest episode, Cole sits down with former UH volleyball player and a high school teammate of his, Kanai Akana, with some grind from Asahi Grill. Brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, Hawaii's best bank. Gary Dickman, Tanner Hayworth here with the Sports Animals in the morning on ESPN Honolulu. We'll talk more about uh, Phil Steele in a few minutes, but uh, some of the takeaways, especially Tanner, when he was talking about the University of Hawaii, he knows what he's talking about with stopping the run is the biggest concern. But the thing is also when I look at this team individually, and I know it's not an individual sport, there's a lot of talented players on this team. Some of the defensive players that we talked about, we didn't get to them all. This team does have talent. Hopefully that will help result with the experience factor, especially with Timmy Chang and his coaches that will result in more wins than last year. Hopefully a few more right. at least. And, you know, it's more than just, you know, the Cam Stones, the uh, Logan Taylors, Isaiah Tufangas, Peter Monomaz, all the names we all know. There are a lot of newcomers that I really do expect to kind of make the rounds for the defense. I think of guys like uh, Kuau Pehopa, who he was talking about, the defensive tackle from Washington. Right. I think of Daniel Williams, the Juco transfer. Another Juco transfer, Justin Sinclair. There's a lot of guys on this defense that I'm expecting to see a lot of because that was our main issue when it comes to defense last year, not only the run defense, but our depth was also really bad because of that whole transfer portal, Todd Graham situation. I expect to see an improvement on the defense, but I think much like Phil Steele, I'm not surprised to see if we're still a year away from bowl contention. And not the scary part, but the other part of that situation is that the other schools have improved. They've got some talent coming back and some second-year coaches that should be better. We'll talk more about uh, Phil Steele, college football. We've got a lot to go over with the sports animals here on this Monday morning. We'll take a break, get you caught up with traffic and more. And Tanner and I will be back in a minute on ESPN Honolulu. Hour number two in this Monday morning, Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth here, the Sports Animals in the Morning on ESPN Honolulu. If you want to call or text, 808-296-1420. If you didn't hear uh, last hour, Phil Steele was joining us talking college football, more specifically UH. Uh, we'll replay that about 820 uh, 
the, later on in the show. Really interesting conversation that we had for him. Uh, of course, if you want to call or text 808-296-1420, we'd love to hear from you. In fact, one of the things I'd like to hear from everybody, and I know Tanner and I are amongst a few, maybe more than the few, that didn't get to ride the skyline, the rail, as it was formerly known as, did open up on Friday. I did see it running, uh, drive, uh, driving on the freeway on Friday or Saturday, but uh, everything I saw on social media, for the most part, made it sound like it went off pretty smoothly. I know some people got a little confused about the times as far as when they close. It closes at 7, but you can't get on it at like 6.30 or 6.40. Last ride, I believe, was around 6 p.m., and uh, I will ride it eventually. I'm not going to go too much out of my way. Tanner, I'm not sure if you're going to get in. Uh, you'd love to have it from Ever Beach to downtown eventually, though, I'm I w- sure. Look, I just wanted to go from Kapolei to, like, the airport. I feel like once it gets to there, I'm probably going to be using it a lot. Mm, I was actually right. talking with a lot of uh, people. Like, um, I was talking to this um, one of our family friends. He's a part of the military, and he was like, if the um, rail just went one more stop, because the next stop is actually right next to Pearl Harbor, because right now where it stops at Aloha Stadium, it's still like a two-mile walk to kind of near Pearl Harbor, and there's not really any sidewalks. So he says, you know, once I think that rail gets past to that point, you know, all the way to the airport, has that stop near Pearl Harbor. Right. I think a lot of people on the west side who do work for the work for the military and go to those stations, I think this is going to be very, very, you know, useful, not only for the traffic going out of Eva Beach and Kapolei, but it'll also work a lot for the traffic going into Pearl Harbor. Yeah, that's another advantage of having it completed. Hopefully it'll go down. And they are saying it will go downtown eventually. Also, but. I want to say, I because I was watching a little bit of the news and stuff, some people were complaining about the brakes being a little too strong, a little too jumpy that right. you could possibly fall. And someone was comparing it to like the uh, the train systems in Japan, like, oh, they would never do that. And I'll say, as someone who has just recently come from Japan a month ago, uh, the brakes are pretty strong in Japan, too. I've had a couple of times where I've almost fallen over, and I'm, like, holding on to the thing up top. I'm not sure what to call it. Uh, the rail on top, you know, where you're, when you can't sit down. But I, it's, it's a rail system. It's a train. The brakes are going to be rough always. So if you're standing up, you know, get ready for it you know you know start shifting you hold your on i don't know what they call those things either but you're right i mean every train <laughs> i've ever been on when it stops it stops and you know it's kind of you know, it's, it's a rough stop. unavoidable i guess it's always going to be a rough stop right but i think that's just something that a lot of people are just going to have to get used to and as it as the skyline lives on i'm sure a lot of this stuff will either get fixed out or a lot of people just you know get used to it yeah, I mean, they, if I saw it right, I think they had eight to 9,000 on Friday, and they were expecting, I think, 14,000 on Saturday to ride it, which is pretty high, and it's free, so you're going to get more people. Starting on Wednesday, they'll start charging, and then you'll need your holo card and all that. But, uh, I, I mean, I, I think right now it's most it's, – not that it's mostly for fun, but it is, but when it goes to other uh, – places like you said then more people can use it as an everyday right. thing like, right now once, once not it a hit, lot of places to go to that people are going to want to use that often i would think right once it hits the airport i'm taking the uber to you know Kapolei or the closest station i'm near i'm taking an uber there and i'm taking that thing to the airport because that's just going to be like an ease of access i don't got to worry about traffic i don't right. got to worry about someone you know having to take time out of their day to drive me to right. the airport i it's it's an it's a really great convenience, at least for the people you know of of my community of Eva Beach 
couple a you know all that good stuff so shout out to the uh, 706 right but i think a lot of people use it so i'm curious if anybody listening did get to write it over the weekend let us know your thoughts whether with a phone call or a text we'd like to hear your response to that as well Uh, another thing you need to know we didn't get to this last hour but it's pretty cool for clarissa chun i mean she's done so much in her career and, and now on saturday she was inducted into the national high school sports hall of fame in seattle washington only the third hawaii athlete to make it into the hall. That is pretty exceptional. This is from when she was in high school at Roosevelt when she won the state girls wrestling title in 1998. Of course, she won Olympic medals for Team USA, a world champion. Uh, She's been an assistant coach for the USA team, but pretty cool that she is inducted into the National uh, High School Sports Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Now, one of the things, and it's not in the article I am looking at when it says she's the third, just the third Hawaii athlete to make it i don't know who the other two are and i'm going to find that out i'm not the sure other two are um charlie wedemeyer from punahou 1965 okay. and the winningest swimming coach in state history and jeff meister also punahou wow okay so but also but like you know like clarissa said in her uh in her speech you know because like you said you know out of roosevelt she's like we love punahou but it's always great to you know represent as a public school graduate. And I yeah. think that's really important to show that, you know, you don't need to go to these elite, you know, uh, private schools, whether it be the Ponohos, whether it be like the Kamehameha's, whether it be the St. Louis's, you know, you can still represent your state at an, at an all time level, even if you're still a, you know, a graduate of a public school, because I feel like, especially in Hawaii, I think that separation isn't as grave, isn't as like looked down upon that private versus public school thing mm-hmm. that we see on the mainland. And especially and the same thing goes for women's versus men's sports. You know, I think Clarissa brought that up in her speech as well and how the people of Hawaii just we love to watch sports. We love to watch the competition and it doesn't matter whether or not you you are a male or a female. We just want to see great competition and it's just amazing to have another representative of the state of Hawaii and I think it's amazing to have a representative out of a public school as well as a female representative in the National High School Hall of Fame. I I had forgotten but I also see that she's now the women's wrestling coach at Iowa for the Lady Hawkeyes. Yeah, I think she got that position uh, probably actually only a couple of years ago, didn't she? It was more than a year. Okay, I wasn't sure. I, I mean, it sounded familiar when I saw it, but I had forgotten about it, but I, I didn't realize. One of I, the best just wrestling schools right, in the right. nation. They are. Always. And I'm sure that probably helps the, uh, helps the uh, pitch a little more. Right. You know, one of the things as we were talking about her accolades and everything with Car- uh, Carissa Chun, Clarissa Chun, excuse me, is how many great, not just good, but maybe the best in their sport athletes Hawaii's had. Clarissa Chun, enough said, we just talked about it. Brian Clay was considered for a while the best athlete in the world for winning the Olympic decathlon. Uh, You can go to a Marcus Mariota winning the Heisman. I mean, a Tua Tagovailoa in high school and college. Manti Teo with what he was in high school and even at Notre Dame. We've had, and we've had champions, whether it's a Shane Victorino winning a World Series or two, won it with Philly, won it with Boston. We've had, for a state this size, and I know it's been said before, but I don't think it's said enough. Uh, it's incredible when you think about the talent athletically that comes out of the state, and not just football and basketball, but other sports where they are the best 
not just good, but the best. There's a lot of really good athletes in every sport here. But what we're seeing with, you know, again, Clarissa Chun, another reminder, is how great of a state we are as far as producing world-class athletes, world champion athletes. So that was kind of cool to see. I think see. that should be part of our state motto. We are per capita the best athletes in the nation. Yeah, I mean, you've heard this before, too, though, but for, like, football, there was a time, I don't know if it's still the case, but Hawaii per capita had more Division One football players in the country than any other state because of the size of the state and the amount of Division One players we have, which is incredible. You know, we hear and know pretty much what Texas and Florida and California turn out, and those are gigantic states. But per capita, Hawaii had the most. And uh, we're starting to get a lot more respect the last couple of years. I think about last year's top recruit out of high, out of the high school football in um, uh, uh, Lalaolu. Uh, I can't remember his first name, but he's going from, to from, Oregon from Farrington. Um, okay, what about the, what about this guy going to Texas? The, yeah, um, defensive Leona right? Lefau, you know, Lefau. also going to Texas. But I'm also thinking of for this year, our number one prospect right now who is – out of IAEA last year, he's transfer. I can't remember what school he's transferring to, uh, for this uh school year. I can't remember off the top of my head. But Preston Tamua, who is has he put out his top five, and it's like Arizona, Oregon, uh, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just thinking of the level of prospects that we're now getting. We're not just getting you know a lot of kids you know going to whether it be like Division One schools in the G5 or kind of the lower-tier Power 5 schools in the Pac-12, like the Arizonas or the uh, ASUs. But we're getting guys to Oregon. We're getting guys to Alabama, uh, not just to Otongo Vailoa anymore. <laughs> right. So I think it's amazing to just see the reach that the Hawaii high school athlete has, uh, especially now these days. Because what, Clarissa Chun uh, graduated back in 1999. Imagine, you know, all of the accolades that she got, you know, going on for the rest of her career. And she, you know, didn't really go to the biggest school coming out of college. She just represented her country for the USA. I mean, it, there's so much that we can say, not only about Clarissa Chun and especially the amazing uh, – just batch uh, every single year of Hawaii high school athletes. We could just go on and on and on and on about it. Right. It's really hard to just kind of put it into like a quick segment, you know? Right. And I'm going to stick with football just for this part of this discussion in that when you think about – Because it's the easiest one for us to remember. Well, in, in a way, but also we have so many standouts. When you think about the players from a state this side that have, let's say, gone on to be a Heisman finalist, and I'm including homegrown and recruited grown, if that's the right phrase, which I know it is. And what I mean is Colt Brennan. You know, goes to the Heisman. He's a finalist there. Manti Teo, Tua Tango Vailoa. And then you look at the quarterbacks because, you know, and you know this as well as anybody. Well, let's say in the 90s, uh, maybe even the early 2000s, Hawaii for football was known more for the linemen, the size of the players, the skill sets of these players. And then you started having these quarterbacks. And maybe it started with Timmy Chang, but you had, you know, Darnell Arsenal from St. Louis. You go all the way to, obviously, Marcus Mariota, Tua Tango Vailoa. I'm leaving out the Washington State quarterback whose name escapes me. I know it got into a uh, yeah, sports Arizona, Jaden Delora. No, 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 from like about 15 years ago. Oh, 
15 years ago. He was, at, he was from St. Louis, and then he went to Washington State. Well, because I was going to say, that also included Jaden Delora. <laughs> right, right, right. That's true, too. But he was a really good quarterback. We've had Mackenzie Milton, Dylan Gabriel, just from Mililani going to play what, you know, fantastic college right. football. We've had a number of quarterbacks over the last decade or so. Talia Tongavailo, at least at Coppola before he went to high school in Alabama. I mean, the amount of talent at the quarterback position, uh, hopefully continuing now with UH, but uh, uh, that's really exceptional when you think about the talent that has come out on the D1 level out and, of this small state. And it's not even finished. You know, of course, we still have our own guys still developing. I think if there's one guy to focus for the next couple of years in terms of top-tier quarterback prospect, you look at Jaron Keave-Sangopolutele, you know, the brother right. – oh no, sorry, Jaron Sangopolutele, the brother of uh, John Keave. He's out of Campbell. He's looking like he's going to be the number one quarterback prospect for the next two years of – Big Dave Uyunglele, uh, the father of DJ and Matayo, uh, he's already on him. He, he, I saw him already tweeting about him. So Jaron's already got a lot of recognition out of Campbell. I think of um, uh, Moana Lua has this quarterback. I think it's um, – I can't remember what his name is. He's kind of a taller guy, but there is just absolutely amazing – just prospects out of every single uh, position now. Now it's not only just linemen, and it's amazing right, to, right. to see the reach that these kids have now. Yeah, it is really great. Thank you for the texter saying that Jason Gesser, uh, the quarterback from St. Louis, went to Washington State. might have been before your time, Tanner, but uh, I think he played high school in St. Louis probably in the 90s. Uh, I believe he was right after Timmy Chang, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe overlapped into early 2000s. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. And there was a text uh, quest, a text that came in posing a question about Hawaii's best football players. I'll, I'll give you the whole text in a minute, but it really leads to something interesting. So we'll take a break, come back, and talk, talk more football and players from Hawaii and how great they are coming up with the Sports Animals in the morning on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420. AM. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth. Here we are, the sports animals in the morning on ESPN Honolulu. Chris will be back with us on Wednesday. Uh, we are all taking the 4th of July off, and hopefully it'll be a fun, happy, safe day for everybody. 808-296-1420 is our phone number. It's our text number. We got this text, Tanner, a few minutes ago. It's an interesting topic where he said there was a YouTube piece listing the best NFL players from each state. Olin Krutz was listed as Hawaii's best. Do you guys agree? He was ranked somewhere in the 30s in terms of NFL talent, but like you guys said, per capita, we're probably near the top of the list. Yeah, per capita, that's already been established. That wasn't even an opinion. That's a that's an interesting topic. I, I mean, there's been so many great plays, and they're talking NFL, not how many, like Marcus Mariota has got to be one of the greatest high school players and best college players. Actually, in college is where he made his mark more than high school here, but they're talking NFL from this state. Olin Cruz had a great really long career. Dominic Raiola had a very great uh, long career. I think Olin Krutz might have gotten a little bit more as far as Pro Bowl nominations and things like that, but that's an interesting topic, I think. Yeah, I think it's definitely something to argue. I think as the years go on, we'll probably see a different name other than Olin Krutz. I'm thinking of a Tua Tonkovailoa, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but I think as, you know, looking at the field, I think Olin Krutz kind of makes the most sense. 
I think of, you know, like I said, Tua Tonga-Vailoa is probably the one guy that I can see. Uh, DeForest Buckner, I think, is also another name that I think Mm. should be in the argument if he stays as consistently good as he was the last couple of years for the Indianapolis Colts. But, yeah, Olin Krutz sounds about right. And, uh, by the way, DeForest Buckner will be on our show end of July, early August. I've already talked to the Colts, and they just want to wait. They'll get him on with us as soon as camp is on. They're kind of on their own, so they give the players this time off from the media. But going back to Olin Cruz, he was a first-team All-Pro once, which is still pretty cool. Second-team All-Pro once, 06 and 05. Pro Bowl six times. NFL 2000's All-Decade team. One of the 100 greatest Chicago Bears of all time. There's been a lot of great Chicago Bears. Uh, those are his NFL accomplishments. So, okay, you mentioned a few names. I'm trying to think of anybody else who would maybe be on that list, and I think that's what makes it outstanding for a guy like Olin Krutz or Dominic Riola is that they played a long time. Not everybody who gets into the NFL gets to play you know, eight or ten years. I mean, Rich Miano got to play probably around that time. Got to be probably around eight or ten years. Uh, some of the guys, you know, on Ashley Lee was really good for Denver. I don't think his career lasted eight or ten years. That doesn't make it better or worse, but it's hard to maintain, especially for a lineman, you know, with everything that goes on. But I, I, w- I would have to start with Olin Cruz and maybe Dominic Riola right after. And there's a few more yeah. that I would definitely put on my list, though. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you there. Let's go to the phones right now. John has been holding. Hi, John. How's it going? Hey, uh, as a Bears fan, I'm right there with uh, Olin Krutz uh, being one of the best guys coming out of uh, Hawaii. Uh, one thing that I understood when uh, he was playing for the Bears is if you came through there and you had some kind of extra shove or dirty kind of hit on the quarterback, you were going to have to beef Olin Cruz right after that because uh, he wasn't going to put up with uh, anybody like messing around with uh, – any kind of cheap shots on the quarterback when you're playing the Bears. Yeah. And he still does that as, as, as <laughs> going to today. Yep. So that's what, I mean, you admire that as a Bears fan. That's what I'm saying. I, ha- I got to interview. We used to have the Pro Bowl block party in Waikiki. They'd close down Kalakaua the day before the Pro Bowl, the night before, and there'd be all these events and exhibits and booths and food and drink and souvenirs, and they had like an ESPN stage, and I got to host it like, five, six, seven times, uh, once with Chris Hart, a couple of other times I did it with somebody, a few by myself, but I had different NFL players come up for 10 minutes or so and just talk. I mean, Anthony, um, Anthony Brown, um, I'm trying to think of the Pittsburgh. Uh, Antonio Brown was really hard because he only gave one word answer. But Cole, Olin Cruz was on once. And near the end, I asked him, what do you miss most about playing in the NFL? And he gave the typical player-speak answer. You know, he misses you know, the players and blah, blah, blah. And then while there was a little break, they were playing music or something, he put his mic down. And I guess it's okay to say this. He said, I really wanted to say I missed the money. You think that would have been okay to say? I go, yeah, with this crowd, that would have been fine. But I, I, I mean, he was at least he was honest with me when he said he missed of the money the most. I can understand that as well. Well, they were pretty solid at center the whole time he was there. That's all I got to say. Yeah, he had a, he had a great career. Hey, John, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. And uh, if we had a Mount Rushmore of successful Hawaii-born players in the NFL, who would those five be if you had to put five up there? I think Olin Cruz, Dominic Raiola would be this that. This is the special five-headed Mount Rushmore. I know. I was about to say four, but I expanded it to five. Let's think- keep it to four okay. because – I think five, you you let someone in. Four, you make it a little harder. You add that little bit of drama. I like four. We got a couple of texts on this, actually. If you have an opinion, let us know via text. One person wrote Jesse Sapolo. Great one. Russ Francis. Charlie Anne. 
Uh, those are great picks. And yeah, that, that's the thing. When I first thought about it from the text question about 10 minutes ago, I'm thinking of more recent players. And those guys weren't – well, I mean, Jesse wasn't that long ago, but it depends how you look at it, I guess. But those were some greats. Russ Francis was a great NFL player. Uh, and Jesse was as well. we got another one saying Jesse. Uh, so those guys that I would think would probably belong there as well. What Jesse got to accomplish, all those rings, uh, pretty special. I mean, Mark Tuanay had a career. It was cut short, unfortunately, but he was doing really well for the Dallas Cowboys to stand out as well. Yeah, I think those are two names that especially should be, um, should be you know, as of note. But I think when you think about it, there's a lot of guys out there that you're going to that are going to have to be snubbed. Yeah. And I'm not sure how much of, because I know for the person, you know, that made that uh, list when it came to the best player out of, best NFL player out of the state, I'm not sure how much they went off of what high school they graduated from or where they were born. I can't remember because technically Jesse Sapolu was born in Samoa, but he did graduate from Farrington. So then it's like that weird, like, oh, so is... I don't know how that person uh, formatted their video because that because yeah. Jesse was the guy I was thinking of a little bit too. Right. I mean, like that's a good point though. Like people, I've seen you know, greatest athletes from every state, and technically, Michael Jordan is actually from New York. He was born there. Of course, he grew up in North Carolina. So a lot of people who were great in their state, high school wise, maybe college, they didn't grow up there, or they weren't born there. But that's maybe a, a technicality there. Um, somebody also texted in another Punahou guy, uh, Mosi Taputu. To put, uh, to, uh, I'm mispronouncing it right now. Uh, but Mosi should yeah, be on Mosi that. Yeah, Mosi Tatupu for sure. Tatupu, yeah. yeah Tupu, I mean, he was fantastic. You can stick with Mosi, you know. They, they, <laughs> they made an award after him, special teams award. So Mosi was great. And I never got to watch him play in high school, but I got to watch him in the NFL at times. And he was a great one as well. So if you, have, you could probably go back to the 70s, maybe even the 60s for a few. Well, someone brought up Charlie Anne, who was, you know, yeah. he, who won, you know, uh, championships with the Detroit Lions. I mean, who could say that? No one in di- living in this day and age can say, "Yeah, I want a I want a championship with the Detroit Lions." <laughs> That's true as well. And I, I mean, there were some great players from back then. I mean, they were linemen, and I'm trying to think of the, the, well, John Wilbur was from here, I believe, and he played for the Washington Redskins for a while. I ended up becoming an agent, I believe, and then I'm trying to think of. The other offensive lineman, oh boy, and he played, I believe, for Kansas City back in the 70s. Somebody's going to remember this and text it in, and I'm drawing a blank on that. Well, we can also, you know, he didn't play a lot of football, but I think of a pioneer out of Hawaii, Wally Yonamine, who was a Mm. multi-sport athlete, played with the, he did play with the San Francisco 49ers in 1947. Farrington graduate is in the Japanese Baseball Hall of Fame. So he's definitely one of the best multi-sport athletes, also played football. So I'm not sure how much of that can factor in to a a football Hall of Fame of guys coming out of Hawaii. But I think if you had to include a pioneer, Wally Yonamine is probably a name that you have to remember. We're getting some more tech. By the way, um, uh, well, Rockney Freitas was somebody texted. I'm thinking of Arnold Morgado was the offensive lineman I was thinking of. Uh, But there's another one. And I, I'm joining some, another lineman I'm thinking of. But we also got a few texts. Mark Tuane, who I did mention, Ma'atanavasa uh, for Denver at, out of UA. I mean, that's just 
by the way, that phrase that you're saying is probably going to be something we're going to be saying all day. That lineman that I yeah, just can't remember yeah. when it comes to best Hawaii football players. And hopefully, maybe in the future, we'll start to think of some skill position players, too. So, and again, when, yeah, and Al Noga. But see, see, when somebody texts in Al Noga, I mean, he was as good as it gets in college. For the NFL, and I think that's what the point of the text was from the YouTube video that you saw and the texter was mentioning, is not so much the best players from each state, but the best players from each state who had good or better NFL careers. And that's why Olin Cruz would be near at the top. Not to say that others would. Al Noga didn't have a very long NFL career. I believe he was with Minnesota just for a few years. Uh, But we're getting Rockney Freitas, Mark Tuanay. It's fair to say that the college football Mount Rushmore from Hawaii would look a lot different than the NFL uh, Mount Rushmore of players that come from Hawaii. I think that's extremely fair to say. And that and it's it's but and again to be on both lists is make it even more impressive there. Somebody's texting in Russ Francis who uh, somebody else texted in earlier too. Another great one there. So yeah, some interesting ones. Keep those coming in via text or if you want to call as well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. There's some high school football news, and I just caught a little bit of it. Tanner has that whole story, and maybe. Uh, it's not a transfer portal, but it's something similar on the high school level. We'll tell you what we're talking about coming up in just a minute. Hey, if you mention ESPN Honolulu, you will get the $7.50 special at the Pagoda Restaurant, now located in the International Ballroom. Two eggs, Portuguese sausage and rice, or toast, or you can choose pancakes, waffles, sweetbread French toast, or omelets. Monday through Fridays from 7 to 11 a.m., weekends till noon. For details and menu, visit PagodaHawaii.com. Gary Dickman, Tanner Hayworth here talking a lot of local football. We got a ton of text, and thank you for all the text. Uh, a lot of the same names, Russ Francis, and somebody texted in about Arnold Margado. He was a running back with the Chiefs out of Punahou and UH. I'm also thinking of a lineman, and is it Jim Nickerson? And I know I'm going to go Nicholson. I know I'm getting that wrong, but I remember him being a highly regarded as well. Somebody texted in the best four Hawaii-born quarterbacks, Marcus, Tua, Timmy, and Jason Gesser. Uh, and it was Jim Nicholson. Thank you for that as far as the Kansas City Chiefs. Hey, Jim sent us that text. Thank you, Jim, for that. See, the quarterback one, and we were talking from the text that came you know, a little while ago about the best Hawaii players in the NFL. Uh, and unfortunately... Marcus wouldn't be on that list. Timmy wouldn't be on that list. Jason Gesser wouldn't be on that list. Tua, you, I guess He's you could He's fringe. We don't know yet, technically. We don't, we don't know. He was great last yeah. year. So yes. I think people just want to see that production repeated uh, a right. couple of years, like, but, uh, like how Joe and, uh, uh, what's his name, Justin Herbert, have been so consistent for their career. Would so it be fair to say, though, Tanner, that as of right now, he's the most successful Hawaii-born quarterback in the NFL ever? I think that's fair to say. And I'm trying to think of anybody that I might be leaving out, but I mean, it's only been a short career. Like we say, he's not done. And it's a short a list, there. too. Yeah, yeah, that's a short list, exactly. Hey, well, thank you for the text, and we got a few more on Jim Nicholson. But uh, I, I was alerted to something last night. I didn't get the whole story, but Tanner has some interesting news involving IAEA high school football, and then maybe uh, a lot of players leaving. 
Yeah, I know this is going to be tough news for Chris Hart as he reps I <laughs> uh, so 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 like Probably. feverishly, so like so passionately on this radio station. But unfortunately, it's a lot of bad news if for I uh, football fans because we are getting closer to high school football as it is the third uh, of July. Almost said it's the first of July. That was a really close one there. But thanks to Nick Abramo <laughs> from Bedrock Sports Hawaii, but. He has a lot of reporting about a lot of these high school transfers that are going on. It's not the transfer portal. There's no NIL luring these kids uh, to not these yet. other schools. <laughs> but like I was talking about before, the top-rated recruit out of Hawaii, Preston Taumua, he's transferring out of Aiea to Waipahu. He's actually one of the uh, – just kind of this big exodus out of Aiea because you have – uh, a bunch of these seniors, uh, brothers Kaimana and Kamaka Lale Saole, they're both transferring to Mililani. You have a defensive back, Elijah Naho'opi'i Makakona to Waipahu as well. Uh, their quarterback and receiver, Noah Spencer, to Farrington. You have another kid, another senior going to Kaiser. Uh, more Waipahu uh, transfers as well, of Upu Howard, Ripley Fautanu. I mean, the amount of uh, of kids transferring out of IAEA is a little concerning and I wonder how much of this is more of a oh I kind of want to go to play with my friends or how much of it is families maybe being swayed away from um I'm forgetting his name right now the head coach out of IAEA well it's not um, Todd Graham is it <laughs> well hopefully it's not Todd Graham no, but, Wendell, uh, Wendell say, say Wendell say, yeah. Wendell say of, course. of course he was talking with Bedrock uh, Sports and he was saying um uh, this was supposed to be our year on paper, and it still can be. You know, the kids that want to be here, we'll coach them up. Times are changing. We'll move on and do the best if we can. All of the kids who are leaving are good kids. So I wonder how much of this is, you know, as usual, you know, a little bit of, you know, parent intervention. That, you know, that's a lot in one year. Is, but it's kind of like how St. Louis also had their mass exodus last year of their mm, top players. True, true. And it's still an issue that's going on because that's just IAEA. There's a number of, you know, top players of the state leaving their schools. I think of Anelu Lafaele, son of Mike Lafaele, one of the top recruits out of the out of the state. I right. think he was the he's a four star right now. I believe much, he's a four star right. Pretty now. much projected to go to Wisconsin. Hawaii's on that number five though. <laughs> but he's a uh, transferring from St. Louis to Farrington. You have uh KJ Hallams, one of the best offensive linemen right. uh in the state. He's going to Bishop Gorman I saw out of Ponoho. Another Ponoho standout, Teoriti uh uh Wolf. He's going from Ponoho uh, to Kahuku. So he's switching sides trying to get himself a high school championship, it sounds like. He's trying to he's he's ring chasing there. <laughs> to but see that many players from one high school though, I, I don't even know if St. Louis had as many as you just read off from my yeah, right. that's quite a bit. And they were they've been getting better and better, it seems like every also, year. Also, I was gonna say St. Louis also one of their offensive linemen, uh Jacob uh Punivai, he's also going to Kahuku as well. So there's a lot of so that that right there are four, you know, prominent guys out of a private school making their way back into public school. So I wonder how much of this is, you know, disagreeing with the coach or maybe, you know, it's a financial situation. Because I know, you know, being a Punahou grad, it is not cheap to go to Punahou, and it has not gotten any cheaper since I graduated. But there's also top guys out of public schools going to other public schools, which that's when, like, the questions do start to rise, in my opinion. Because you think of a guy like Zayden Wallace out of Kapolei. He is one of the best defensive linemen in the state. 
He's transferring from Kapolei to Campbell. Uh, Tuli Tangovailoa Amosa, you know, uh, right. uh, he's the cousins to the Tangovailoas as well. Out of Kapolei, he's one of the better quarterbacks. He had a really great end to his year. He's transferring to Kahuku. So I see a lot of these really talented public school uh, players like them, Preston Taumua, and they're transferring to other public schools. It, there's, I feel like questions do you know raise a little bit because you'd oh, always yeah. you always see the public to private school and, be, and people be like, oh, obviously they're recruiting. Are these public schools out recruiting public schools? Well, that's I don't the, know really how that works personally. Yeah, well, that's one of the I have two well, two points. One about Wendell's saying I don't know him personally. I believe we've had him on our show years ago, but I, from what I know, he's been very highly respected uh, by many in the fraternity of coaches or media or fans. Uh, you don't stay at one place for that long without being a good coach and everything. So that's one thing. But I'm trying to remember, and I'm not sure if you would know Tanner, but what are the transfer? regulations now i mean if is it, is it just simply if you find a course that they're teaching that you want to take like band at moanalua or if you have a relative in that school district is there another way because remember it's only a few years ago where you had to sit out if you were transferring at least from from the was it from the oia to the ilh you'd have to sit out a year i'm not sure off the top of my head i don't really remember that far because i've really only gotten to high school football in the last couple of years since I've returned from college. Mm, Uh, So I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but it's definitely, I feel like at some point the questions do have to start being raised uh, when you look. And I think one, I think this is actually one of the uh, consequences of that whole OIA versus ILH division one open situation where they don't have the matchups in the regular season and you don't have right. the uh, results of those matchups really even counting for your regular season record, I think you look at that situation, you see a lot of the frustration with a lot of the coaches. I'm sure all the ILH coaches would love to play other teams <laughs> that are right. the ILH right. that would count for their record. I'm sure um, – uh, um, the name is slipping right now. Uh, Carvalho, the head coach at a Sterling Carvalho. Yeah, Sterling Carvalho. He's come out and he is incredibly frustrated with the situation. And, you know, some coaches are kind of more indifferent. Uh, but I'm sure a lot of the kids, you know, out of these Division One schools probably don't want to be just beat up by a lot of these Division One open OIA schools like Kahuku or Mililani. I think you look at those situations and there has to be some sort of consequence that comes from this. And it's going to be a lot of kids transferring up to Kahuku because, hey, even if you don't get on the first team, you'll get you'll still get a lot of attention on the second team. Yeah, because by the second half, you're playing with no clock. Basically, you're playing you're playing with no breaks and it's only the second or third team playing by the time it gets to the second half and you're playing with Kahuku. I mean, years ago, it was basically just a private school would recruit. Uh, you'd have some transfers. Now you're getting it more and more, as we see on the, on the public school level. But to have this many at one, I, I, personally, I don't like it. I mean, I, when I grew up, it was never – the only time you'd have a player leave your school district is if they're going to a private school, which is kind of how it was here. But nowadays, it just doesn't matter. It's almost like college football realignment where just geography means nothing at all. 
So I, I guess that's just a sign of the times, as we're saying. But that's a lot of players to lose, and hopefully it'll even out in a way. And you, I mean, you don't want to keep anybody back if there's a better situation for whatever the reason is, whether it's financially, better opportunity to get a college scholarship, or maybe other reasons that we're not aware of. Maybe it is personal or family-related where you have to move or some things like that. But, again, it seems like a lot of opportunities are out there, and if people can get a better one for themselves, uh, I, again, th- things have changed uh, you know, in the last 10 years, let alone the last 20 or 30. So I guess it's just a sign of the times. Yeah, and I, I really do think that if they could get better matchups-wise – in the regular season, like if the OI if the OIA and the ILH Division One open schools could play each other in the regular season, so well, that could. there's a lot more. Well, they can if they're <laughs> just not choosing to, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. And I know that would be a lot of really great uh, games that would be ready for every single week, so you don't gotta watch, you know, Punahou versus St. Louis for the fourth time in one year. Uh, I I think. <laughs> You know, yeah. as a as a you know guy, you know, graduated from Punahou, watches all the ILH games. I love you know watching these matchups, but you know, after the third time, you're like, okay, I know what's. I feel like I know what's gonna happen. Okay, here. but wouldn't you rather watch? <laughs> and, and again, not every year is going to be a mismatch. I think Kamehameha last year had a tough time. I think they might have lost right. every game, which has happened more often than not. But they're competitive. But wouldn't you rather see, let's say, Punahou St. Louis? Big rivalry, big matchup. Right. I'd rather see that for the fourth time than see Punahou play, let's say, Radford. I'm just using an example. Not Well, speak. the issue is there's not enough schools in the ILH Division One Open to have those matchups. And the same goes both well, play ways. play the OIA and, Open and, team. And it goes the same way in OIA Division One Open as well because you have those Division One Open teams playing those Division One teams that aren't necessarily ready to play a team like Kahuku. Because if you had IAL right now going against Kahuku, you got a lot of Ironman kind of guys on IAEA now who are going to be playing both ways. A team like that will not be competitive against Kahuku because not only do they have a first team, they got a second team, they got a third team. And they, these are all guys that get a lot of playing time in the last couple of years of Kahuku's dominance. That team versus a team that isn't prepared for that because I think of IAN, you go both ways, you are going to get hurt. That is an inevitability at some point. And I think as a way to keep it fair, as a way to keep a lot of these players healthy, you have to keep those two kinds of teams a little bit far apart from oh, each I, other. Oh, I agree, but they're not doing it now. I'll tell you what, we're going to take a break, and I want to continue this in just a minute. We're going to keep on in this uh, topic on scheduling and things like that, but uh, I want to let you know if you need something this 4th of July, well, try Check City Mill. Tuesday, tomorrow, of course, is Independence Day. You can enjoy tax-free shopping at all City Mill locations for in-store purchases. Celebrate the 4th of July by paying no sales tax in stores. Need something? Try Check City Mill and citymill.com. Always fun talking football, which means it's right around the corner. We're 54 days away before the University of Hawaii will suit up against Vanderbilt. I like the sound of that because it's not that far away. Yes, it's next month. 
But by virtue of that, that means training camp opens up this month, and I believe that is 23 days away, if I have it correct. The NFL Hall of Fame game, which I know is exhibition, but I think people love exhibition NFL action because they're starving for football, so to speak. Any NFL action is good action. Yeah, yeah. Even Until it the, gets to the second half of a preseason game. Oh, sometimes the second quarter. <laughs> uh, but they, they have that on August 3rd. And I know it's, I think it's the Jets in Cleveland, but I know the Jets are in it. But that's only uh, four weeks away from Thursday, I believe. So, so we'll we're be able to watch some Zach Wilson football, baby. No, that's probably, yeah, you're probably right. And by the way, the Jets were officially declared the team on hard knock. We heard strong rumors last week, and we knew there were four finalists, and nobody really wanted it, but they uh, they lost that musical chair situation. So they and Aaron Rodgers will be on hard knock, which isn't that far away as well. So this high school topic is really interesting as far as the players that are transferring. And I just want to ask Tanner, because I know – I was wondering, I did ask him during the break, but about IAF football with all those transfers you mentioned. They had two D linemen last year, uh, brothers that were really big and really outstanding football players. And I know they got interest from some Power 5 schools, but you know the latest on where at least one of them is going? Yeah, so the Twins, it was Logan and Max Rouse. One was the defensive lineman, one was the offensive lineman. Logan Rouse mm. was the three-star. He was in the Polynesian uh, football game. The, uh, the Polyball? Yeah, the Polyball. Um, so I believe he is going to the Navy to play football. Uh, I can't remember if it was that or the Army, but I'm leaning more on the Navy side. If anyone wants to correct me on that, you could totally shoot that. With Max Rouse, I'm not sure. I really haven't seen anything other than a couple of, you know, smaller schools like Whitworth or Pacific. I've seen those offers, but I'm not sure where he is uh, playing football uh, in the fall as a uh, okay. graduate. So, it's not, I mean, again, I just remember Ohio State, the mentions at least, but that was just mentions and interest, not an actual. You would, I mean, I don't know it's for sure. It's probably like a camp visit or something. Yeah, I right, can't remember if, what the stories were off the top of my head. Right. But. If you get an offer from Ohio State, to me, most more likely you're going to go there over some of the other. I'm not to put down Navy, probably. of course. Uh, and then again, some people might not because you want to play right away and you want to start. And maybe if you go to a school like Ohio State, it makes it that much tougher because they're getting all four stars, sure. if not five stars as well. Sure. But uh, interesting news that high school football, we talked about the NFL Hall of Fame game on August 3rd. High school football usually starts that week as well. And I know August 4th is that Friday, so camps for high school football should be starting any day now, if not any week now at the latest. So we'll hear more about that in the upcoming days and weeks as well. Football, yes, right around the corner. There is a light at the end of the tunnel called July, which I'm not a big fan of sports-wide, but we're getting over this that up rather tunnel. soon. Yeah, this is the tunnel, and I see the light, and it's coming up. Which is August. Yeah, and NFL training camps at the end of the month. So, yeah, the last week of July, things start getting better. We can have a sigh of relief. We're going to take a sigh of relief ourselves and take a little break. We'll get you caught up with traffic. Tanner and I will be back with hour number three. We'll replay the Phil Steele interview, uh, if you didn't hear that, in the first hour of the show, talking about UH football primarily. That and more ahead as you listen to the Sports Animals in the Morning on ESPN Honolulu. Back with our number three, Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth. We are the Sports Animals in the Morning on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. No, uh, only, only new breaking news in the NBA today, or new news as far as free agency. We didn't hear any big names signing with a different team, but Anthony Edwards got one of those deals that seemed to be uh, getting out a lot, being given out a lot over the weekend. About five years, was it 260? 260. 260. Two, two, 
worth up to. Worth up, up to. Yeah, we saw Desmond Bain, uh, uh, Halliburton for Indiana getting, I think, 250 to 260. And, uh, you know, like LaMelo Ball gets 250 with Charlotte, but I think he definitely deserves it. Uh, but some of the ones out there, again, money's out there and players are getting it. Then you get a guy like Russell Westbrook only getting 7.8 over two years. Which is kind of weird. I mean, I know he's not the same player, but when you see other guys getting 40-something million who had good careers in the last two or three years, uh, Russell Westbrook, I think, might be a little underpaid. And we'll start with that with three things you need to know. NBA free agency over the weekend, and there were a lot of movements. Now, the thing is, starting on Friday, you're going to hear about them all over again that they're official. Uh, Just kind of where you can negotiate, you can announce it, but... You're not going to have it official until later this week, which means we're going to hear all those names all over again. Here's one thing I feel bad about that you need to know about the NBA free agency, Tanner. The Chicago Bulls have applied to the NBA for a disabled player exception for Lonzo Ball. Remember Lonzo Ball? He's expected to miss the entire season again, and he makes $10.2 million. They want to have that salary open up because he's not going to play a game. I, I feel bad for him. I mean, he... Obviously, he was the first of the Ball brothers to come into the NBA. We know about LeVar and all that. But Lonzo Ball, like, I mean, I, I didn't like LeVar and some of the antics, but Lonzo Ball's a really good player. Maybe not great, but he's good. But it's like his career probably, to me, will never be the same, missing two and a half years or so by the time it's all said and done. Yeah, and honestly, the thing that hurts him the most isn't the missing those games. It's the reason why he's been missing those games. He's just been having some, like, absolutely just unique knee issues. Yeah. And it's just very sad because I think especially by the end of his career, because I think we could call it, you know, pretty soon at this point. But the last couple of years before the injury, I really feel like Lonzo Ball was kind of finding his own like niche in the NBA. He was no yeah. longer like the bust from the L.A. LeVar's son and all that stuff. Right. Lonzo kind of finally felt like his own person uh, by the time he got out of L.A., and is it's just extremely sad to see the direction his career has gone. Yeah, again, I mean, I, I I say this often, but no matter what player it is, I mean, it could be a Duke player. I mean, I sports hates some of them, and I have fun with it, but I never want to see anybody's career end as a result of an injury or miss a lengthy amount of time because of an injury. Uh, I I, don't, I mean, I want to see my teams win, but I'd rather see them beat the opponent when they're healthy. So when you see what's happening to Lonzo Ball, it's kind of sad. Uh, now, having said that, with NBA free agency, I don't know if there was a big surprise out there. Some of the surprises were that guys like Kyrie Irving never um, never really met with anybody else. Like he was saying he was going to meet with Phoenix, and that was big news on Thursday or Friday. But um, I'm not, I'm not, I think one of the bigger names to me of players that changed teams was Bruce Brown. One of the hero, one of the many heroes for Denver, coming off the bench, played starters minutes for Denver. It's the first year there after coming over from Brooklyn, and he signed a two-year, forty-five million dollar deal with Indiana. Indiana's got a lot of youth now. Bruce Brown is still young. I think Denver's. I know Denver's going to miss, and they also miss uh, lose Jeff Green, who I think went back to Houston where he's played before. But Bruce Brown going to another team. It was more money. Denver could not give him. I think they could only give him like three point eight. One of those exceptions. So he took the money and ran. I can't blame him for that. Yeah, two-year, $45 million. And I will have to say, I love Bruce Brown. He did amazing in the playoffs. I think that's asking too much money from Bruce Brown. And I think they're going to see him as a starter. I really do love Bruce Brown. 
he has high, lofty expectations to live up to right now because he has to play like how he did in the finals, basically, uh, for the rest of his Indiana Pacers career, or else he will be seen as a gross overpay. And sure, it's only a two-year deal, so I think that's a big pro of when you pay someone a lot of money for only two years. It's probably not going to be as aggressive as, say, like a four-year $80 million contract, like one for Dylan Brooks, where I would say the two-year 45 is definitely a lot better than the four-year 80, but I still think that's a lot of money for Bruce Brown, in my opinion. It is, and I, you, I think one point that you're, you're making there that I would agree on is that he was a great fit in Denver. He was good with Brooklyn. Uh, and he's not an all-star type player, but he was a great fit in Denver this year, especially in the playoffs. Is that going to translate to any other team like Indiana? I don't know. So it might not come down as a good contract. I mean, there's kind of that risk with some of the others. You know, Fred Van Vliet got money with Houston. And Houston, you know, getting all these young players, and they had, they had money to spend. They still have some money. They almost – well, I'm not sure if they almost got Kyle Kuz, but there was rumors he would go there, but he'd stay in Washington. But Houston's getting a few key players plus their draft. Uh, they're going to be a better team next year. They should be a better team. And they got a good coach, uh, an Ime Udoka, who, you know, had success in Boston before some of the off-the-court problems there. But another one that we haven't mentioned, I know Laker fans would, and I think they would like this, uh, Gabe Vincent signs with the L.A. Lakers. Miami loses Max Struess to Cleveland and Gabe Vincent to the Lakers. I don't know if he's going to start. D'Angelo Russell resigned there as well. But I think that was a nice pickup for the Lakers. I genuinely think the Lakers won free agency and they really only signed what two or three new guys but what they did in being able to not only keep uh, Rui Hachimura with the offer you have keeping Austin Reeves at an absolute budget deal um, you re-signed D'Angelo Russell which you know I'm not a huge fan of but getting a guy like Gabe Vincent I'm definitely a huge fan of. You lose a guy like Dennis Schroeder, but yeah. I think Gabe Vincent is a really great uh, replacement for Dennis Schroeder because I can see Gabe Vincent starting games for the L.A. Lakers. When you look at the Miami Heat and their run to the finals, they won more games when Gabe Vincent was their starting point guard over a guy like Kyle Lowry. So if you have a Gabe Vincent out there with uh, maybe D'Angelo coming off the bench, I think that would be the... That would be my strategy going forward, personally, because I just like what Gabe Vincent puts on the court. And then you also have, um, I'm trying to remember their other signings, where they signed Cam they Reddish. And, Cam Reddish, um, Jackson Hayes. The Jackson Hayes, Texas, yeah. which who I think would be a really good backup five, because I really don't think they really had a good backup five. I think their best backup oh, center did. was Tristan Thompson in the playoffs. So that was really disappointing for Lakers fans because Anthony Davis really didn't get any help when it comes to getting rest. Uh, he had to play multiple entire halves and in the NBA playoffs, time, course, and he yeah. also got hurt, like you, like you were just saying there. I think, I think the Lakers could be a one or a two seed going into the NBA playoffs next year. There were people that were, had written that they really improved themselves. Cam Reddish, again, a dookie, who I thought was really good in college. I thought he was going to have a better NBA career, and he went from Atlanta to the Knicks, did nothing with the Knicks. Tom Thibodeau didn't like him, so he never really played much. But I think he had the potential to be an outstanding three-point shooter in the NBA. Jackson Hayes, I loved in college, hasn't done a whole bunch in the NBA. He got, a, I think he got, I'm not sure if he got arrested or charged with something, you know, some kind of violent act a year or two ago. 
But he has talent there. Oh, they do lose Thomas Bryant, who they had last year. He uh, goes to he goes to Denver, I believe. Uh, they had him last year for a little while as well. But still some movement out there, so we'll continue to follow the NBA free agent tracker. Another thing you need to know for Hawaii's baseball players in the major and minor leagues, and we'll start with this. It wasn't a great performance, but it's great that Rico Garcia is back with the Oakland Athletics. He was with them in May, got sent back down to AAA, and just came back a couple of days ago. He pitched two and a third innings yesterday, struck out three, but let up three hits, one run, struck uh, struck out the th- – actually, it was two, and his ERA, an 8.53 for Oakland, but he's back in the majors. Now, IKF, Isaiah kind of falifa for the Yankees, yesterday didn't have that great of a game. It was 0 for 3. But on Saturday, they had that double header against the Cardinals, 1 for 4 and 3 for 3. His batting average was at 260, now at 256. Uh, on the minor league level, Josh Rojas didn't play. Kean Wong went 1 for 4 for Charlotte. He is at 200. Uh, Kirby Yates, Colton Wong off yesterday, but Isaiah kind of falifa really started to play well and his batting average really creeping up from where it was a month ago like around 200 look at him now 256 yeah Isaiah has done an amazing job uh in lieu of the Yankees kind of uh, plateauing out here without Aaron Judge uh they've definitely had their issues but at least defensively I think Isaiah has been doing his job he's been getting better offensively as well great to see that from him but you know it's really hard for me to say that, you know, to say, yeah, great for the Yankees uh, for sure. But, you know, good on them for really sticking with Isaiah kind of falafel here. And one kind of think about this. I mean, one of the most prestigious sports jobs you can have, there's a few, uh, but one of them is playing center field for the New York Yankees. Joe DiMaggio did it. Mickey Mantle's done it. Uh, there's been some other greats. Aaron Judge has done it. And now Isaiah kind of falifa. I mean, he's done something that kids would just dream of. Whether you're a Yankee fan or not, it's still being in those pinstripes is a lot of kids dream, and he's living it right now. And, again, he did struggle early, but he's one of their more consistent players now. And the fact that he can play almost every position, and he has pitched three times already, uh, is really incredible. I love watching what he's doing for the New York Yankees. And uh, good weekend for him, a good couple of weeks for Isaiah. So that is good news as well. Third thing you need to know if you weren't paying attention on Friday with all the Skyline news is that the San Diego State Aztecs are still a Mountain West program. They did not jump. They didn't bolt. They're not paying an exit fee yet. And I guess that was kind of expected the way everything played out last week, Tanner. Still, it's kind of interesting. And as you said uh, earlier in the show, it's going to be interesting at media days in a couple of weeks in Vegas. I wonder what kind of questions they'll be asked. Oh, yeah, for sure. And look, this is more of a San Diego State will stay with the Mountain West for now. That's what it really feels like. Because there is no situation like, what, back in the 20. 20- the early 2010s where it was Boise State and them going to the Big East and then the Big East football kind of just kind of crumbled out of existence there. But they were almost a done deal then. Yeah, so it's not like a situation like that where there's absolutely no destination for them to go right now. The issue is right now the the destination they're waiting to go to is uh, still kind of loading uh, a little bit here. Uh, But with the Pac-12 just not being able to get any kind of future media deal done right now, where the Big 12 is kind of cut in line uh, in front of them a couple of times here, the Big 12 right now kind of feels like the kind of 
uh, number three conference right now with the ACC and the Pac-12 both both kind of having issues with reputation when it comes to uh, their top 25 in college voting where it feels very like one-sided where their top schools, you know, USC or Clemson for the ACC, where if it's not them, it really just doesn't feel like anybody else. Uh, with the Pac-12, they're lucky to still have a schools like Washington and Oregon that can still represent their conference well. But after Washington and Oregon, there's not really much that is super tantalizing about the Pac-12, well, and days. I think right now that's the their main issue when it comes to getting a, a Pac-12 media deal done. And because of that, it's hampering deals like with future schools, like maybe with a San Diego State or even an SMU who has also been tied to um, uh, realignment right. uh, rumors as well out of Texas. Uh, because look, they lose big. Uh, TV markets in L.A. with USC and UCLA moving out. Uh, replacing them with uh, Dallas and San Diego is probably their best bet, but they can't do that until they got a media deal done. Right, so right. they're really caught in a pickle here. It's really bad for them. And one of the things I had forgotten about with San Diego State, but you mentioned it a minute ago, is that I, I remember them going to the Big East. It was a done deal. They and Boise pretty much a done deal. But it wasn't that they changed their mind. It was that the Big East, as you said, was falling apart in football. And they were going to be a football member only, San Diego State was. They were going to be in the Big West in other sports. Can you imagine San Diego State basketball in the Big West through this last 10 years? How about this for a fun fact? And I, I – I, I found this amazing. I'm going to try to pull it up so I can read it word for word, and I know I'm going to get it. Give me a couple of seconds here. But since 2010, can you tell me which program has won the most football and basketball games combined, the best winning percentage? Football and basketball? Yeah, since 2010. Out of the Mountain West? Well, out of the country. Oh, in the country. In the country. Oh, uh, in the country? Prop, I, oh. That's a great question. Well, I was amazed, and I would not have guessed this. Wyoming. No, but <laughs> you, you, in a way, you're close. Um, it's San Diego State. Oh, wow. They And I was, it was almost like a setup question in a way, but I, I found that really surprising. Um, I mean, again, it's great for them. I knew they had a really good program. But, again, for football and basketball since 2010, they've got the best winning percentage. Now, but their basketball think- team has been really good, but not Great, great, great. But I think when it comes to that is both of their basketball and football teams have been consistently above average. Exactly. They've yeah. never really fallen off, at least much to my memory. San Diego State has always been a pretty good college basketball team, and especially in the last uh, couple of years, they've been really good college basketball team. With their football team, they've always been good. They've always been a contender in the Mountain West. They've never really been bottom of the barrel like a you know like a Hawaii in the 2010s in football. But I you know just hearing that doesn't really actually baffle me that much. They sure they do deserve a lot of respect. I think. When it comes to conference realignment, I've been very adamant of being very anti-San Diego State the last month uh, because, you know, I, right. I do feel a little bit proud of, you know, of the Mountain West only school here they, in Hawaii. They wanted to leave the family. Yeah, so it's, it's rough, but they do deserve respect. And I wouldn't even be surprised if they get a Big 12 invite because the Big 12 has been trying to kind of uh, pivot here into being more of a college basketball conference because they've had the rumors of reaching out to Gonzaga for a basketball invite. I 
wouldn't be too surprised if I would see a future Big 12 member in San Diego State. Yeah, that again, but the fact that they've had the better record, I thought that was you know interesting. I'm glad for that, but that was a little surprising. Tell you what we're going to do. I want to get into some UH football coming up in a little bit, but coming up next, we're going to replay an interview with the 6 o'clock hour. Phil Steele joined us, of course, the Phil Steele College Football Preview Magazine in year 29 now. And we basically, Tanner and I, talked about the University of Hawaii for the most part. So we're going to replay that coming up in just a minute. Then we'll follow that with some UH football talk for this upcoming season. Hey, if you're looking for something new well pop by dixie grill barbecue and crab shack on tuesdays for taco tuesday it's not taco tuesday but taco tuesday you can get catfish brisket or shrimp tucked into a tortilla with pork nachos sounds great doesn't it stop by dixie grill barbecue and crab shack for taco tuesday click dixiegrill.com Joining us here on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia hotline. You see the Phil Steele College Football Preview out. Uh, we get into it on this show. Uh, it's been going on, I believe, for over 28 years. And he joins us right now, Phil Steele. Phil, thank you for joining us. Has it been 28 issues of your magazine? Yeah, this is the 29th year. 29th. So next year will actually be uh, year number 30. You know, the first one that came out, guys, was uh, black and white. It was on newsprint. It stayed that way for about seven years. We went to full color in 2002, and I believe it's the best-selling book or magazine in Barnes & Noble now. I would imagine so, and we know when you want to get the best in college football information, your magazine is the place to go to. There's others out there, but we know yours is like the Bible for college football And you know, Phil, that means, uh, this Tanner here, I was going to say, that makes your football magazine older than me. <laughs> if that make, if I want to make you feel a little bit better coming on to the uh, the program there, you're making me feel a little old there. But I started I started young. Yeah, it makes me feel even older when I hear that as well. Well, I, we want to talk about a few things going on in college football. Of course, first and foremost is the University of Hawaii football team. What is your prediction, so to speak, as far as what they will do this year, year two in the Timmy Chang era? You know, and I like what Coach Chang is doing. You go back to last year, over the first four games of the year, they didn't have a single touchdown pass, and sort of switched them back to the run and shoot, which Coach Chang was very familiar with. And we saw an improved offense as the season went on. Uh, they had a, for the year, or for the way he stepped in, you know, he took over late. Uh, there was the uh, the long uh, thing going on with Graham, and then took over late and brought it in. I thought he did well getting the team to three and ten last year. This year they got nine starters back on defense. Uh, I think the defense and the special teams will be improved, and offensively, I think we'll see them continue to improve as well. Now, the schedule's not easy playing teams like Vanderbilt in the SEC country, Stanford, which I believe is a winnable game. So if you're a Hawaii fan, look for that Stanford game. They're a very young team this year. Uh, they have to play Oregon on the road and, of course, the Mountain West schedule. I think they're probably a year away from getting to a bowl game, but if they can win a couple of pivotal games, they're talking about the Stanford game early on, maybe New Mexico on the road, San Jose State at home, then I think Coach Chang can have them competing for a bowl game this year. But uh, I, I think it's going to be an exciting brand of football. They have quite a few players at the skill positions on offense coming back. Braden Shaker is back for another year. He's gained about 10, 15 pounds, looks a lot stronger. you got some of the receivers, running backs. Tylen Hines had a great year for them last year. Who do you think could be or should be maybe the standouts, standouts on offense for Hawaii? 
Well, you talked about Shaker. Now, he's a tough kid that was thrown into the fire last year, but he's a gunslinger. Uh, he's figured out the rhythm of the offense, and as you know, the, the run-and-shoot offense is a little bit different than most offenses, and I think he really really is bought into it. But I think the player on offense that stands out to me is Tylen Hines. And when I talked to Coach Chang and was going over the team with him, he felt that he's got the capability to be the Mountain West player of the year this year. He's going to use him in numerous ways, you know, naturally running the football, but also out of the back field, and I think he's a good fit for the offense. He's only 5'7", 175, but uh, I believe Coach Chang's sort of building the offense around him this year. Uh, you have wide receiver, I look for Walthall to come out there and be probably the most promising wide receiver that they have. So those would be the names that jump out to me, but I think if you're looking for the guy at the end of the year that's going to garner the most Mountain West Player of the Year honors, it's probably Tylen Hines at the running back spot. Yeah, he definitely had a great year for Hawaii last year. We are talking Hawaii football and college football in general. Phil Steele of College Football Preview Magazine. Phil Steele's uh, 2023 edition is at Barnes & Noble. We'll tell you some more places, including online, where you can get it as he joins us on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia Hotline. Tanner has a couple of questions for you, Phil. And to flip to the other side of the ball on defense, we saw that you put on the All-Mountain West uh, pre uh, preseason team Cam Stone as kind of like the lone player on that first team. Now Cam Stone, the transfer from Wyoming, what do you see in him to be one of the top corners in the Mountain West? Yeah, and when I was talking to Coach Chang about the defense, uh, he said he was pretty shocked that they actually got Cam Stone. He comes over from a great defense in Wyoming. He's got good size, and uh, you know, he, he, I think when you look at him, it, he's one of the he was a solid cornerback at Wyoming. He now comes in here. He's probably the star cornerback here, even with Verdell Edwards back, who's a big, long cornerback at six foot two. I think that's a very nice cornerback combination that they have with Stone and Edwards. And then, kind of the one big—I mean, there were a lot of issues with the defense last year, but one big issue with the defense last year was that run defense, and they were pretty much allowing whatever could possibly get through any hole at one point in the season. <laughs> uh, do you see anything, you know, anything, you know, uplifting to see from this defense to see that there would be an improvement in that run defense? Yeah, and Coach Chang knows that this was the problem last year. I mean, they allowed 5.6 yards per carry, over 200 yards per game. And if you're giving up six yards a carry every time the other team runs the ball, you're going to have a tough time getting them off the field. Uh, he used a lot of scholarships to strengthen the room. Uh, you bring in a guy like from Washington uh, at defense tackle, who's my number 86 rated defense alignment. They bring in a guy from East Carolina, California, Washington, and they've got a star up front in John Tuyakpo. Uh, when you look at him, he's, he's their anchor of the defense. He's strong. He's dominant inside. He's tough to block. I think he's going to be the key to an improved run defense this year. I think also what we're sticking with, talking about the defense and sticking with some of the really good standouts. You look at the linebacker spot, and Logan Taylor last year just came on as an injury replacement and seemed to be one of the better linebackers in the Mountain West. Where do you rate him overall? I know you've got him on your own Mountain West, I believe second team, but when you talk about a guy like that who just really came on the scene and not a lot of people were aware of him, I thought he had a fantastic season. Yeah, and you hit it right on the head. He came on strong at the end of the year, and a lot of times you see that in the new defense. You know, it takes a while to adapt to it, which he did. Uh, 85 tackles last season, and and he's one of those alpha males. You know, one of those guys that's a, a leader on the defense, and and I think you're going to see a big year out of Logan this season. 
Hawaii, again, we talk about a lot of players that have come back and really good players, whether it's on defense, Thailand Hines, hopefully Braden Shager, Jonah Pinocchi uh, back as a receiver. Some of the receivers are back. What will it take for Hawaii to maybe get from two or three wins to maybe, maybe being a bowl-eligible team? Uh, I think it's going to be improvement in the rush defense, which is vital because you can't allow 5.6 yards per carry. But the second one would be for the offensive line to meld quickly. I mean, this is a young group that they have on the offensive line. They actually have a little more depth than what they had heading into last season, but it is still young with only basically two returning starters coming back up front. But uh, I think if the offensive line can gel early and then the defense can get better against the run, that's going to be the key. And then those toss-up games I mentioned. I think New Mexico State is a big one early. Stanford is a big one early and a winnable game. Uh, the New Mexico game on the road, San Jose State at home. If they can pick up a couple of those, they're going to gain confidence. And, you know, when I went through, uh, to, as an example, going with uh, Baylor, uh, Coach Aranda, early season confidence has a lot to do with the team's success. Uh, he mentioned that two years ago they gained a lot of confidence early. They expected to win games late in the year. Last year that wasn't the case, and they sort of folded down the stretch. I think if Hawaii can get some of those early toss-up games, that'll be the key. Great choice there, by the way. Uh, former Hawaii defensive coordinator Dave Aranda right there. Uh, but uh, I think when you look at the Mountain West and how you predicted how it would go, you kind of have Hawaii kind of in the doldrums. I think it's fair to say, of the Mountain West alongside the uh, New Mexico's. I mean, what do you see out of the Mountain West this year? Because coming out of last year, the Mountain West kind of looked like one of the weaker uh, comp football conferences. Do you think you're going to see a lot of improvement from the Mountain West in general this year, or do you think it's pretty much the same? And I think you hit it right on the head, Tanner, in the fact that last year the Mountain West was poor. You go back and look at those early non-conference games, first four or five weeks of the season, and you're like, can any any team emerge from the Mountain West? Because they're all struggling. Uh, you know, even Boise State losing at UTEP, losing at Oregon State like they did both by 17 points. And then, you know, once they got in conference play, things were better. But I think this year the Mountain West will be an improved league. You're looking at a team like Boise State that uh, now has their quarterback in Taylor Green. Air Force has an unusually veteran group. They usually aren't this veteran, uh, but they are this year. San Diego State, uh, they went to their quarterback, took them about five weeks. Then Jalen Madden moved over back from linebacker. I mean, he was quarterback to linebacker, back to quarterback. And uh, once he took over, they were different. Wyoming is one of the biggest teams on my experience chart. They were one of the least experienced teams in college football last year. In fact, I told Coach Bowl that uh, I was like, uh, after I got off the phone with him and, uh, last year and they had lost all those players, I'm like, I feel sorry for them. They're going to probably have a losing year. He got them to 7-6 last year. Now they've got 15 returning starters and a whole bunch of players that have uh, bought into the program. Every, play, every position I went through with Coach Brent Brennan, he said, this is the best unit we've had since I've been here, and it's his seventh year, so look out for San Jose State. And then even teams like last year, first-year head coaches, Jay Norvell uh, of uh, Colorado State, Ken Wilson of Nevada, uh, and both were first-year head coaches last year, and every second-year coach I ever talked to says, we are so much better off this year. Those two teams are much better off, and I think both worthy of uh, contending for a bowl spot. So. I do think the Mountain West overall is a deeper league and a much better league this year. Phil, we always enjoy talking college football. Your magazine is the best. For some of our listeners, I can't imagine anybody who's not aware of it, tell our listeners what makes your magazine so special and where they can obtain it. 
Yeah, it's the amount of information. And also, I uh, I do nothing but college football year-round. I talk to probably 125 of the 133 head coaches. We spend about an hour going over the team uh, with each coach in the country. I can't imagine any other magazine does that. And then we've got three to four times the amount of information of any other magazine. Most magazines might give a half page of the Mountain West. We give two full pages. Uh, we give you three deep, four deep on every single team. Uh, it's like getting 133 media guides rolled in one, except it's even better because all the information's in the same spot on every page for every team. You can get the magazine right now at Barnes & Noble there in Honolulu. You can also get it um, at, in Maui. So both places, uh, both Barnes & Nobles have plenty of the magazines available. And if you're not around at Barnes & Noble, you can just go to philsteel.com. And when you go to philsteel.com to order, there is a shipping charge, but we give you the digital magazine absolutely free, and I update the digital magazine all the way through September. So if a player's gone and out for the season, we'll have them circled in your digital magazine, or if a player gets added, and we did capture the majority of the transfer portal players, but we'll add it to the pages of the magazine. So Barnes & Noble right there in Honolulu and Maui, and then you can get it at philsteel.com, and when you order online, you get the digital magazine uh, for free. That sounds like a great deal. Phil, again, thank you for spending some time with us. We love the magazine. We love it when you can come on our show. Thanks again, and happy holidays. Hey, happy holidays. A lot of fun talking football with you guys this morning. Thanks for having me on. It's always great talking with Phil Steele. He's been on Bobby's show, obviously, for so many years, and we were fortunate to have him on as we were in the morning the last couple of seasons. So getting us ready for football. Now, it's great that he said some really encouraging things about Hawaii, Tanner, but then on the same way of looking at things for the Mountain West. He also talked about other schools, Brett Brennan at San Jose State, Wyoming. There's a lot of schools that are going to have better teams than last year, they feel. So you always got to worry about that, too. But what he said about Hawaii, I liked. Yes, for sure. And, you know, much to his own sentiment, I don't disagree with him that we're probably still a year away. But, hey, there are opportunities to surprise some people this year for Hawaii football. And hopefully, in terms of bowl contention. Yeah, and the improvement will take that, and hopefully that will result in a bowl game this year. We're going to talk some UH football, Tanner and I, coming up in just a minute. It is the 4th of July tomorrow, of course, and if you need something this 4th of July, hey, try Check City Mill. Tuesday, of course, as I said, is Independence Day, so you can enjoy tax-free shopping at all City Mill locations for in-store purchases. Celebrate the 4th of July by paying no sales tax in stores. Need something? Try Check City Mill and City Mill. Isn't it kind of cool when you come back from a weekend? We all like having two days off. Not all of us do, but you get two days off of the weekend. You come back for a day, and then you get another day off. Every week should be like that. It should be like that. I wish it was like that when school. Like when I was ev- going to school. Every fourth of the month should be like that. <laughs> yeah, every fourth. Why, why do it only in July? Where's the 4th of June, my favorite holiday? Well, the 4th of August, what the celebration's there, and you can go on and on, but in a perfect world, which it isn't. But I want to talk some UH football. Of course, Tanner and I love UH football. We all do. I know we do. But I want to tie this on, tie this in a little bit with what Phil Steele was saying, but also yesterday in the Star Advertiser, Stephen Sy had a really cool article, mostly involving UH athletics and the, athletic, the new athletic director, Craig Angelis. The headline is putting plans in motion. It's mostly about the stadium. Because one of the things our new athletic director talked about was with the schedule, where this year you've got uh, was it four game four games five games excuse me 
out of the big out of the Mountain West. So you have 13 games, always going to have eight conference games, at least for now. And his point was that maybe the schedule, which is tough this year, because you have Vanderbilt on the road, Stanford, not a great team, but a Pac-12 team, at least for now, <laughs> and Oregon on the road, that if you're playing a schedule like that, if you don't go, if if you go two and three, as an example, and the wins might be Albany and New Mexico State, if it comes to that, if you go two and three, in order to go to a bowl game, you're gonna have to go five and three in the Mountain West. So he's kind of talking about maybe that schedule isn't perfectly meant for Hawaii as far as their bowl opportunities. Where if you play one Power Five school, maybe a two group of five and an FCS, it's better for your bowl opportunities. Interesting perspective there, I thought. Yeah, and when you think about it, when you go two and three in a five game out of conference, then like you said, you have to go five and three in conference. If you go two and two in a four game, all you have to do is be five hundred in right. your division in your conference, and then you go to a bowl game. So I I I think I see where, you know, Angelus is coming from. I think it's definitely gonna be something that maybe some fans will be a little bit not afraid of but i think it's more of a things of where a lot of fans would probably see that and accuse hawaii of just being okay with being okay because a lot of people be like well look you have three power five opponents here what what's so bad about that well it's like yeah last year we only had what the vanderbilt and Michigan and Michigan, so that's two. So we did also play G five last year, yeah, which is a really Kentucky. great yeah. G five team right. in Western Kentucky. I think I can see where Angelus is coming from, and it definitely takes the pressure a little bit off of the football team there, and where you do have to have a winning record if you come out five hundred out of coming out of your out of conference schedule. And I think part of it is the balance in trying to make money. Where when you go to, I don't know what they're getting at Oregon. I would imagine it's probably around a million bucks. Uh, that's what Michigan was over a million bucks last year. I think the going rate has gone over a million for most of these games, for most of them. Now, they're not going to travel as far, so it might be a little cheaper to travel. But let's say it's a million. Uh, but you have to give Stanford some money for coming here. I don't know what you're going to offer schools like that. And Vanderbilt will probably pay. I don't know if they would pay a million. It's probably more in the five to 600000 range, which, I'm not again, I might be off by a well, few Well, Stanford's probably paying us because we're probably going to go to Stanford in a couple of years. But, but the thing, well, they'll, well they'll, we have to pay them to come here, and they'll pay us to go there uh but i don't know what the, i mean when you go to a group of five schools especially with the lack of tickets being sold what i mean even if they sell out it's 15-3 you might not have a lot of money and revenue to give them but it's, it's an interesting perspective because again like last year you had michigan you had vanderbilt those were going to i mean if you look at the games that were favored against teams you were favored against well michigan and vanderbilt we weren't and then you look at new mexico state um, Duquesne and Middle Tennessee. Well, I'm not sure if we were, I mean, Western Kentucky. I don't know if we were favored against Western Kentucky. We were but not favored against Western. We were we had, we had were not favored in any of our out-of-conference games. Okay, that, and that makes sense. And New Mexico State was on the road, and they were a better team, as it turns out. It, it, in other words, what he, his point is with the, the, that way of thinking is that you're almost shooting yourself in the foot, making it really hard to get to a bowl game if you're scheduling that tough out-of-conference. And if you have five games like that, yeah, you're going to get money. As I said, maybe the, the balance is important. 
important to balance what you want to get in foreign revenue to help the athletic program as, as a whole, but also not have a losing record, even though you're going to say, well, we hope to go 3-0 and or 4-1 and in this series with five games this year, but it's going to be tough to. New Mexico State's at home, but they're a better team, as we know. So if Hawaii goes, let's say they only go 2-3, and three, as you said, they have to go 5-3 and three in conference, which is tough. And, you know, you, you want to go to a bowl game. That's one of the priorities, one of the goals for sure. But I just think it was an interesting perspective. I want to keep talking about this a little bit, Tanner, because I know you and I follow this so closely. So we'll get into that coming up in just a minute. Of course, we'd love to get your thoughts at 808-296-1420 with a text or a phone call. Hey, what do you get when you combine jocks and food? Athletes, A-T-H-L, and eats. And, of course, we all love to eat. So you can join Cole Malsa, former Punahou star in basketball, uh, on our YouTube channel or at ESPNHonolulu.com. Every week or so, Cole will go around and talk with local sports celebrity and this week the latest episode has Cole sitting down with former UH volleyball player Kanaia Kana with some grinds from Asahi Grill. It is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, Hawaii's best bank. Tanner and I back in a minute we're going to talk some UH football with the sports animals on ESPN Honolulu. Last night I dreamt I was Back with the animals here, Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth. We will be off tomorrow. Chris Hart will be back with us Wednesday morning. And thank you guys for tuning in. You know, we get our texts and we appreciate them. 808-296-1420. For some reason, and I know what happens to Chris. I'm not sure about um, if it happens to Josh or Kanoa or anybody else. But um, when I send a text message back in response, for the most part now that says message not sent, we are not ignoring your text messages. We try to get them on the air as much as possible or answer them as I do. I know I've done that after the fans' voice over the years, but for some reason lately, and we'll, we'll look into it. They just say message not sent. Somebody wanted to ask Phil Steele a question. That was a replay that you heard uh, 15 minutes ago from earlier this morning in the 6 o'clock hour. He wanted to know what he thought about Colorado, but I apologize again. That was not live. And then somebody else, Tanner, when we were talking about high school football and all those transfers from IAM more so, uh, a little over an hour ago, somebody texted in, how can you transfer? I thought you had to live in the school area. I think that's the way it used to be pretty much everywhere. Well, if you want to go to a private school, you get to go anywhere you want because it's a private school. But people get around living in the area by if you have a relative in another school district, you're allowed to live with your relative. It's where your mailing address is. Uh, your actual physical address, and if you're in another school district with a relative, and I know people get creative with it, and I believe also if there's a course they're teaching that doesn't appear in your, not on your school's uh, list of curriculum, you're allowed to go as well, like the band deal at Moanaloa. Is that true as far as you know about going to another school because of what they offer academically? I'm not sure, but it's definitely a question that does probably needs to be raised when you see a bunch of you know, especially when you see, like, kids from Kapolei, you know, transferring to Kahuku. You know, I think that's the first thing you think of is, uh, well, those are two very separate school districts. Yes. <laughs> but yes. I, if you probably, if you have family in the area, you live with them. I mean, you think about the three Moanalua kids that we got for uh, Hawaii men's volleyball. Right. None of them are from here. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> One of them is from Canada, for Pete's sake. Right. Uh, so... They all found their ways to be playing at Moanalua with each other at the exact same time. So I'm sure that this is a process that a lot of people have great expertise in dealing with. 
Yeah, and it's within the rules, even though it might be loopholes. Remember a few years ago, I think you remember, but at Kahuku, I think they won a state championship with Brandon O'Connor as the coach, but they had Daniel Fotu, Isaac Fotu's younger brother. And he came here basically just to play basketball for one year. And then before the school year was over, he actually left. But it was within the rules somehow. There was the other kid who's playing for Mississippi State this year. And his name escapes me a big. He went to Western Kentucky. He was only here for one year at Kahuku. He had family here. I think his mother was from here. But, and, and again, he was like an all-SEC first-team player, I think, too. So it's within the rules, and maybe they got to change the rules, that they say, sometimes. Hey, we only got a couple minutes left. So I want to go back to UH football. We'll end it on this note where we're talking about the schedule and the chances to go to a bowl game. To me, it's, it's hard to not go to a bowl game every year. Now, and when you have a change in what in pro in uh, personnel, whether it's coaches and or players like Hawaii had last year, it's totally understandable. You had all those new coaches, and you had 53 new players there. That's something that's not normal in most situations. But when you're going to have turnover, that can happen. Okay, but to go six and six should be pretty manageable for almost every team. Now, again, different situations for at school. So Hawaii again wasn't eligible last year. This year. I think it's going to be tough, and I know you've said you hope to see improvement. I agree with you on that. I'm hoping they go to a bowl game, but if they win five games and go five and eight, I think that would show improvement, and depending on how they lose, because last year they got better and started losing closely at the end, at least, if that's anything. And if they show improvement, I'll be okay, even if they don't go to a bowl game, although, of course, that's the hope that they do. Look, my prediction has kind of settled right now at the – I think we're going to win four games. I think I see four winnable games personally, even though two of them are away where you do see the Nevada and you do see the New Mexico. Mm. I just think that I think that there are ways to get to six wins. And I think once we get to six wins, then there's definitely going to be a team that's not going to be eligible or doesn't want to go to a bowl game. And then we have the situation where we fall into a bowl game, even though we only win six, not seven Uh, games. It happens pretty much the last couple of years. It has. has. I think that situation will happen. And six wins this year, they're saying it's a tough schedule non-conference for sure. I think in conference, it's pretty it's pretty nice. It is, but you look at the last three games of the season, Air Force at home, then at Wyoming, Colorado. We're not State playing Air Force this year. Excuse me? We're not playing Air Force this year. Uh, yes, they are. We're playing them on November 11th. We are? Yeah. I thought we, I thought we avoided Boise and Air Force. Uh, not, not according to what I'm looking at oh, here. Oh, yeah, we're playing Air Force on Veterans Day, in fact, on November 11th. Anyway, that's all the time we have. We're going to talk more UH football, of course, on Wednesday. We are off tomorrow. Have a great, happy, safe 4th of July. Thanks for Tanner for filling in and doing a great job once again. And we'll see you bright and early Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Have a great rest of the day. Let's talk sports at noon with Kanoa. Off the bench with Josh and Hunter at 3. Have a great 4th of July. Aloha.